just stupid little shit like that, like, just random things. I poured a glass of juice yesterday, and I turned around and put the juice in the cupboard instead of back in the fridge. Usually think you would be on something to do that. Yeah, but I, it's flipped. It's, <laughs> that's the missing piece of your brain operating. <laughs> I get forgetful without drugs and alcohol. I mean, I had to, I drank that much whiskey all at once last night and gave it like 10, 20 minutes before I thought of that last meme. Like that was, I just had to sit there. Kai's like, what are you doing? I was like, I, I thought you were trying to kind of tell me like, I drank an entire glass of whiskey, you know, for my throat. To make it feel better. <laughs> How have you felt having to delay this for four extra days? It's fucking terrible. I absolutely hate it. Do, I was... you, do you feel like you're going to be able to do it justice? I just... There's so much information. And I realized that as much as I love this part of it, like the murder and everything, I just love court cases. It's one of my absolute favorite things in the world to watch trials and to go through and pick apart the defense and the prosecution and the things that they fucked up. And I, after going through all this again with like a fine tooth comb, Mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody could have found OJ guilty. You don't know how anyone could have found him guilty. Like I, I understand that there's so much evidence and everything there. But when you have to find somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, his defense put up so much reasonable doubt for fucking everything. Uh, there's so many things that I'm going to get into, like the fact that they didn't have the trial in Santa Monica. I know, but we have to... We're in part one. I, I'm aware. I, I know. I, I'll push all that back. Okay. This is going to be easy. I, I can do OJ's playing days and Jimmy Lee and all that stuff. I'm excited for you on this because I know that this is... This is like your real house. I can't say that I love OJ anymore, but at the same time, like, I do completely understand why I'm just enamored with him. I am looking forward to you over the course of this. Okay, this is going to be a two-parter because I know this is going to be long. So this will be like an hour and a half, two, two hours each part of it. So two each. We're gonna go. We're gonna go from OJ early life all the way up until the murders, right? No, no, no. Uh, up until he the mur- the trial starts. Yeah. So we'll go OJ born, OJ in the projects, OJ going in a gang. OJ in high school, college, a little bit we'll touch on. Then into the NFL, we'll touch on just the very simple things. Okay. And then we'll dive straight into his life. We'll take it all the way to the Bronco chase. We'll do the Bronco chase, and then we'll cut that for the day. Okay, and then we'll come back and talk about the trial just because there's so much to talk oh, about just God. in that. Okay, so, so Orenthal James mm-hmm. Simpson. Adam, tell, tell me about OJ. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, shit, okay. Um, this one's a tough one for me because I don't, I I can't say that I love OJ, but at the same time, he's just, he has me so enamored. I, we're not old enough to have seen him play. No. He was far before our time. No, I was 
Because by the time the arrest happened, how long out of the NFL was he? Uh, a ways, because he went into the Hall of Fame in 1984, so he w- I think his last play oh, okay. was 1979. Yeah, that makes sense. Because so, I was nine when the Bronco Chase, eight or nine, when the yeah. Bronco Chase happened. So my first memories of OJ were literally the court case. And you, Can you pull your mic closer to you? Yeah, that thing, you are as close to my mic as you are to your own. Is that better? Yeah, I'm sure it'll sound better. Okay. So, uh, I would like to say that I got my love for OJ from watching him play, but obviously that just wasn't it. And learning more about him through the court case than learning about his playing days, and then going back and seeing what he did on a football field. Obviously, as a sports fan, you can't deny that he was one of, if not the best running backs, probably top five running backs in NFL history. Would you say? Um, I don't know, man. That's hard to think of on the spot. So Sanders, Walter Payton, Emmett Smith, Emmett Jim Smith, Brown, Jim Brown, uh, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, you, you got to even throw some more more recent guys in there. Um, top ten, maybe. Yeah. I would say he's. I would say he's probably safely in the top ten. Well, um, and I, I don't know if our listeners are necessarily sports fans, but a 2,000-yard season as a running back in the NFL was something that had never happened before O.J. came along. Has it only happened the one time since then? Uh, O.J. had it. Chris Johnson had it. And then Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson had it. Chris Henry's done it. And there was somebody before that. But it wasn't... It just is a feat that only a handful of guys have done. And... To know that he was that good, and it, we, we just got to dive into him. I know. So here's, here. there's so much that's, like, fascinating about this. The culture that's kind of just spun up around people rediscovering this and, like, you know, d- different documentaries coming out and that kind of stuff. But what's nuts is that, kind of going on what you were saying about not having seen him play or anything, everybody who is, I would assume, probably born in 19... I'll even go 1985. I was nine when this happened, and so I didn't get to watch him play. This was my... So let's just say 85 on. Their introduction to O.J. Simpson was the murder trial and, like, everything that has happened, like, subsequently after that. Um, Unless you're a Bills fan, like, seriously, are you going to know who who O.J. Simpson really is, or are you going to know that that was someone that, you know, was a running back previously for your t- team? I break him down into the three phases of his life, and these, I think, are probably the three ways that people either knew him. They either knew him from his NFL career, they knew him as the guy that was the Hertz rental car and the, spokesman. And the, and the naked gun. Yeah. Yeah, it, the actor. The guy had so many different movies. He had his own production company that he started putting out just shit made for TV movies that he just wanted to be in. So he was Tyler Perry before Tyler Perry. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like the, the racial connotation there. No, yes. no, I'm saying that he makes a guy who makes has his own studio, makes his own... That's I didn't even think about that. I was yeah, saying both of them own their own studios and make their own, just crank out a bunch of stuff, some of which is not what I would consider the best quality no, program. No, I, and OJ had certain movies that were... Like you said, the Naked Gun. He was in three Naked Guns. Him and Leslie Nielsen 
He was absolutely phenomenal. He was what was his name? <sighs> that was just called him by last his last name. I can't remember. Not Bergman. Um, if you but, can't if you can't remember, then it probably wasn't that good. Well, it was just so long ago. All right, well, while you're looking that up, so I'm just going to run through the quick facts until we get up to some of the more interesting stuff. So, he's born uh, July 9th. He's born the day before me. (laughs) I didn't know that. Okay, so... He was born the the day after America, and he was born the day before you. Okay, so he's born July 9th, 1947 in San Fran. Um, He's one of four kids... I had to write everything very small just because I had so much stuff. Four kids, Eunice Durden and Jimmy Lee Simpson. Um, Those were his parents. mm. Eunice Durden was a... Oh, by the way, just real quick, he was Nordberg. That's right. Nordberg! Yep. So, Oge was born uh, July 9th, like you said. He was born in a project in San Francisco, a very poor low-rent area. Uh, Eunice's mom was a hospital administrator and she worked the graveyard shift for like 20 plus years. That was, she, her and Jimmy Lee, I don't know if all four of them were Jimmy Lee's kids, Mm -hmm. but she had had four kids and she would work nights so she could be home and during the day to try to give Oge and his siblings kind of the best, most normal life that they could. Gotcha. Okay. So, him growing up in the projects in San Francisco, you like to think that San Francisco would be what it is now, where it's kind of a a place of the strange and the different, mm-hmm. and it's a very accepting society. Yeah. Back then, where he grew up, that was not at all a place where he felt comfortable. And Jimmy Lee, his dad, um, was a custodian, a chef, and had done a few other things, Uh the big surprise about Jimmy Lee turned out to be gay. Mm-hmm. So as he transferred kind of out of the family, he wasn't really in Oge's life very much. That's also going to come back into play during um, some like descriptions that people have given about like OJ. Well, and he even thanked um, Jimmy Lee in his Hall of Fame speech. And said that he made him the man that he was, and that he really influenced him. But Jimmy Lee just was absent in his yeah. life, so it it kind of starts the pattern of OJ telling a story that necessarily or wasn't necessarily his story, but it was kind of a story that suburban white people would want to hear. Well, I'm referring more so to the fact that his dad was gay, because there have been some of his friends that have come out and said that he had this weird thing about being around like gay men he freaked out on nicole a couple times when she let one of her gay friends like hold their kids oh yeah and he yelled That's at right. her literally in like their it was in hawaii i think and they said that he yelled at her all night like was just screaming about it so he definitely you know i don't know if he associated having an absentee father and being gay uh, as maybe the reason why his father was absent. I mean, I don't know how much one had... Did he have a second life or something like that? I don't know. But that just, I think, part of that and maybe part of the anger that he carried through his life was caused by that. And it's one of those things where, like I said before, OJ is 
as a person, he's a complete shithead. And this whole mm-hmm. time, I'm going to go through a lot of this, and it's going to sound like I'm painting just a beautiful portrait of OJ. Mm-hmm. Because on the surface level, he was a tremendous human. Not a tremendous human being, I take that back. He was a tremendous figure. I feel like you have this ability with this, and I'm sure you have it with other people other than this, but like I feel like you have this thing with OJ where you're able to completely separate almost two people. Like, there's the person that OJ was before all this, that how America knew him through, like, a very filtered lens, and then there's the person you found out he actually was once all of this started to, you know, come to light about the abuse and that kind of stuff. It's that, and then OJ almost had... He wasn't split personality by any means, but he was a guy that could get what he wanted because he knew how to talk. Mm-hmm. He knew how to act in public. He knew how to make all that stuff happen. Mm-hmm. He knew how to look good on the football field. He knew how to transition into an acting career. I think he was very aware of how to use his abilities and what his abilities were. Oh, how absolutely. To get things. He knew when to be a little bit intimidating. He knew when to be, you know, hey, OJ here. Um, I Just thinking of the whole situation overall, it sounds like a book or a movie something that just it sounds like something that's fiction just simply because you're like you have this guy who was you know I'll we'll of course cover this more but a Heisman Trophy winning college football player uh pro successful pro player then he got the TV and he got the movie career and everything but oh no there's a secret behind this man it it sounds like uh you know a Hollywood script or either that or just like a shitty murder mystery romance type novel thing and he his college years to me seemed so formative to him because he was a kid that grew up in the projects and ended up not being smart enough to graduate correctly so he had to go to a year at community college and then came to usc we'll cover all this this is just kind mm-hmm. of a a little i actually wondered why he went to a smaller school i didn't know if like he wasn't as good of a player and then he just developed like within that short time frame. And- he was phenomenal. When he gets to USC, USC is just a predominantly white campus. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a there's specks of color, and that's yeah. really about it. So OJ coming from the projects, all the white folks that are around him, this is going to be the first like brother that they've seen okay. from the hood that grew up in completely different means, and so he kind of learns to start to adapt to act himself or acting almost a little bit more white, mm-hmm. you would say. He assimilates to them instead of them assimilating to him. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where he saw what people loved about him, and then he just completely exploited it. Yeah. So He, he, he wanted to for them to view him as almost the, as dumb as this is going to sound like, the safe, friendly black guy. And not even necessarily an equal. He wanted everybody to see him as the god that he believed that he was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the crazy things about the fact that O.J. turned out to be the kind of runner that he was, was when he was, I think he was three or four years old, he developed rickets. I have no idea what that is. I didn't it's it a vitamin D deficiency that causes your legs to grow fairly incorrectly. Something that the modern world has kind of taken care of. This is going to sound stupid. Did did Forrest Gump have rickets? Was yeah. that what he had? Okay. And that's that's why he grew up with the leg braces. Okay. Okay. So Oge was the same way. He had to wear leg braces all the time. And at one point, his grandma even tells a story <laughs> that when OJ would go to sleep at night, mm-hmm. his grandma would pull the shades down 
and take the actual rods that the um, curtains were on mm-hmm. and strap them around his legs. So when he slept, his legs would grow straight because it causes your legs to bow out. So it's gotcha. almost like you just got off of a horse all the time. Mm-hmm. So run, okay, run. <laughs> run, juice, run. <laughs> yeah. So coming off of that, you would think that the least likely way that he would be able to make a living in life would be to run. Yeah. Um, it, it was just something that was kind of shocking and I had known about it before, but didn't really know to the extent that it was, um, OJ's life kind of seemed like a mystery to him when he was younger. He didn't find out that his name was actually Orenthal James Simpson until third grade. He thought that his name was literally OJ. Like teacher was doing a roll call or something. Yeah. And that's how they found it out. And Orenthal was named by his, uh, aunt for a French actor is where Orenthal came from. Mm-hmm. So, as he grows up, he's kind of learning more about his identity, and I'm sure he's looking around the neighborhood and seeing that he doesn't fit in. He fits in decently in the projects, but when they go outside of the projects, he's probably still being made fun of at home because he has rickets. He's mm-hmm. he's a kid that has a handicap. That, and I'm sure it's something that you've noticed, and anybody that sees Oge, or Oge would notice today, huge head. Oh, yeah. Gigantic head. Mm-hmm. And this even comes into play... As he grows up and gets older, he actually joined a gang in the project that they were in called the Persian Warriors, which I don't know where a predominantly black project would know what Persian Warriors are, mm-hmm. but just a a thing where I think he was almost looking for more of a family because his mom worked nights, he had three brothers and sisters, but at the same time... It, I don't know how close they would have been at that time. Well, it's also if he's, you know, he's younger and everything, and he's also been kind of ostracized because of his disability. Absolutely. And, you know, it, you don't want to boil it down like this because, you know, it's a mental health discussion and everything. But, you know, honestly, how many kids actually just join gangs because it gives them, like, a sense of community and friendship and it's something they can belong to? And how many of those kids have that beforehand? I mean... I, I don't know the statistics. I just feel like him growing up like this and, you know, having a disability, maybe being made fun of, he gets some people that are, like, friendly to him or, you know, make him feel welcome, then he's willing to join a gang. Well, and when you grow up poor, I think there's always a sense of wanting more. And I'm sure seeing the gang makers out on the street that were making money and that had mm-hmm. better things and that had better means... I think that he probably wanted some of that, and then he was just, like I say, looking for a sense of belonging. And that's not to say that Eunice didn't do everything she could for him. No, but I mean, There's, there, there was four kids. Like, well, we, yeah. you could only do so much. There was a story um, that Eunice had told where they obviously didn't go on vacation very much. They had family in Arizona. So Eunice worked... I think it was 16-hour shifts for, like, two weeks straight Mm. to save up enough money and to save up enough time to take them on a legitimate vacation. So they go to Arizona, and this is right around the time that Oge is about to play his first Little League game. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty bummed out that he had to miss his first Little League game because I'm sure coming off of Ricketts and everything like that, he he wanted to be accepted by his friends. Mm. He had a team, finally, and it was something that he really wanted to do, and he was fairly disappointed. Well... Eunice loaded him up in the car and drove all the way back to San Francisco. It was like an 800-mile round trip just so Oge could play in his first Little League game. Something that I I don't know many parents that come from means and that do well would do now. Yeah, no kidding. So 
I think he had that at home as far as the love. Uh, obviously not a, a father figure with Jimmy out of the and, picture. And maybe that was it, too. It was the male, the older male figures that were accepting of him or encouraging of him. And who who knows, you know, th- this, this guy is not the right guy to study on why he's fucked up. Well, and that's why I, I can't get enough of him because he is so... The way that his mind works, I love psychology, and I love trying to be able to break down like serial killers and look and say you're a, a psychopath, a sociopath. Mm-hmm. I don't think Oge is either one of those because he's just a terrible liar, and that's something that you see typically in a, a psychopath where they are just so good at lying because they've done it for so long Mm -hmm. that they can stick with any lie that they tell because it's just ingrained in their mind. This is what happens. Okay. Before we get, we're already into it, but so do you think he did it though? (laughs) I am more sure that, and this has to be allegedly because I don't know, I'm sure OJ would never sue us, Mm -hmm. but I'm more sure that OJ killed Nicole and Ron than I am of my own virginity. Okay. I've been there almost every single time that I've had sex, mm-hmm. and I'm more sure that OJ killed his ex-wife and her friend. Then that that you lost that you've lost your virginity. Yeah, okay. I could. If you came to me yeah. and you said OJ didn't do it, or okay. you're still a virgin, I'd choose that I'm still a virgin first. All right. So I guess that goes a long way in saying how badly the trial was mismanaged. If I, you can't figure out how they called him, I, I can. How they figured out he was guilty or whatever you said. And as we get into it, we're. There's no way that we can fit all this into one episode, so this will be the first of two, and it's just going to get better and better. So, um, OJ joins the gang, and of course looking for whatever he was looking for, probably acceptance, and they nicknamed him Waterhead, which in the olden days, a Waterhead was basically the R-word. It was a, mm. a a colloquialism that they use for the R word, your gotcha. waterhead, because his head was so damn big. And it was something that I think he just grew to accept. Is this why he looks like a... Because, like, when you see him, he does not look like a big guy. I mean, he is a big guy, but when you look at him, comparatively to football players now, like running backs now, he's not a big guy. So, you know, when you are like, oh, he's a running back, you would think huge... But is it also that when you see him, you see how big his head is, so it makes his body look smaller? Uh, yeah, he's it's just ginormous. He he runs, I think, NFL. He was 6'1", 230 pounds, so a okay. little on the heavier side for running back back then, a lot taller than what they would be now and mm-hmm. what they would be back then. But his head was so big that... It was probably also the uniforms, too, because I was just thinking about it, too. The shoulder pads were huge. Big old baggy sleeves and everything, so it made even like big dudes look. He had a, an appearance that was larger. I'm sure yeah. than what he was. He was he was really kind of larger than life in that respect. Um, I yeah, he's just a big dude. But uh, so he's in the gang, joins the gang, um, ends up getting arrested. There's controversy over that. He says that it was for a couple different things, but the best that we can figure out was that he was stealing beer for his buddies. So, he's stealing beer for the gang, gets arrested, gets picked up in his teenage years, ends up going to court for that. They don't give him any kind of jail time, but they do sentence him to community service, and they give him, like, a mentor in life. Mm -hmm. His mentor told him, you need to find something with your time. One of the other parts of um, what he did was 
they had told Eunice that Oge could never be, like, alone at his house after school because that's when he was hooking up with the gangbangers and that's when he was doing crazy stuff. So the mentor hooks him up with the, I don't know if it was junior high, middle school, what it was, but with the football team as the equipment manager. And so this is kind of OJ's first introduction to seeing football. He's out of his leg braces at this point. Things have, He's still very bow-legged. Like, mm-hmm. you can still tell as he's standing that there was something that went different. But this was his introduction to something that he just fell in love with. And he saw these kids out there playing and did that for a little while. And then coming into high school, he just realized... I think I'm faster than these guys. I think I'm better than these guys. I think I can whoop all their asses. They're never going to be able to catch me. So he goes and tells the coach that he wants to play. He doesn't want to be the manager anymore. He doesn't want to deal with the equipment. Mm -hmm. He just wants to play. Coach says, that sounds good. I'd love to get you on the team. Unfortunately, usually the equipment manager should know this, we don't have a helmet that fits your big-ass head. And... So he goes back, tells the gang, hey, I'm kind of looking at playing football. I'd like to get into this. And they must have had some sort of love for him. I'm sure if he was stealing beer and Mm -hmm. doing all that shit. But the Persian Warriors actually found him a helmet that would fit his head and got it for him. And he ended up playing that year. I think it was his sophomore year in high school and just absolutely went nuts. He was the kind of runner that... Like I say, you could always tell that he ran a little bit different because of his legs, mm-hmm. but just nobody could catch him. When he was in high school playing football, did he get um, recruited by USC, and then when they found out his grades weren't good enough to go to USC, they recommended he go to this other place to and then transfer? Like, was mm-hmm. USC kind of, like, in control of that whole situation? They had suggested it. He got recruits from, I want to say, like, five or six major schools that Mm -hmm. wanted a piece of him because they had seen his high school tapes. He was running all over everybody, just left and right. There was nobody that could stop him. So this was Galileo High School in San Francisco, correct? Yep. Okay. So he he had a... um, He was just kind of the man at Galileo, and I think that was kind of his first taste of fame and notoriety. Uh, His best friend that will bop in and out of this story left and right because he just won't go away. Um, Al Cowlings, the man that... AC? Yep, the man that drove the Bronco, the man that was kind of always in his life. He is dating a woman in high school, dating a girl in high school, and he kind of has an argument with her, tells Oge about it. Oge goes and talks to her and ends up talking her into dating him instead of AC, (laughs) and that's how he ends up meeting his first wife. You would think that at that point... Al Callings would be like, hey, you just stole my girlfriend. Yeah. You're an asshole. Mm-mm. Didn't affect him a bit. OJ was just that charming enough that he was able to talk Al into understanding and being okay with him taking his girlfriend in high school. There was a story one of his friends tells, and this will kind of reiterate how just loyal this guy was to, to OJ. Um, one of them had found like a, like a track starting pistol. Mm-hmm. And they were going to go, and they're like, we're going to pull this on OJ and scare the shit out of him. <laughs> and so um, one of the friends walks onto the football field, and OJ's standing there, and I think um, AC was standing there, yeah, ne- kind of next to him. And they pulled out the gun and pointed at OJ, and at like AC stepped in front of OJ, and he told <laughs> me, he's like, if you're going to shoot OJ, you got to shoot me first. So, I mean, this kind of... 
yeah, that already sets kind of the precedence for for the other stuff he's going to do. Well, and Al not only was such clo- or so close to him in high school, they played on the high school football team mm-hmm. together, and Al actually ended up following him to USC and blocked for him at USC, too. So they took a very similar path. I don't know if AC went to the college of San Francisco to get his grades yeah. up, too, but he ends up following OJ all the way through college. So he must have been decent, or it was something where they wanted OJ. He said, if you're going to take me, you're going to take AC, too. Yeah. And he just always followed him around in his life. He just loved OJ. He he did whatever he could for OJ because I don't know if it was that they grew up together or maybe he looked up to OJ, but just unconditional friendship. I I don't know if I would drive a getaway car for you, but I feel like man, I probably wouldn't frame somebody for murder because of you. I don't there's we're very close. You're not. You're not my AC, Adam. <laughs> I'm still. Your, your I'm, still I'm, I'm still searching for my AC. Okay, so he marries. Uh, he meets Marguerite, steals her from AC, and then they get married. Yeah. So he ends up um, attending the College of San Francisco because his grades were just that shitty, and they had some standards to accept at USC that he had to accomplish. Slices, dices, tears through the football field. <laughs> it, um, at uh, San Fran, USC brings him in. Same year he gets to USC, he uh, marries Marguerite. And so that would be early 1967. Junior year happens, he runs up a storm. Just left and right. Cannot be tackled, scoring touchdowns, 60, 70-yard touchdowns. That was kind of one thing that he was always known for was if there was going to be a big breakout touchdown, Mm -hmm. he was going to be the one to get away. This is a dumb, unrelated question, but so he went to college in San Francisco, I'm guessing, for what, like two years? It would have had to have been because he doesn't have a sophomore year at USC. Okay, that's what I was going to ask because it's junior year and then senior year at USC. So he he used up his two years or there was some type of change in eligibility the yeah. way they do it today. I'm not okay. 100% sure where that, that There's a difference in like went. JUCO rule, yeah, okay. Or maybe he was just dumb as shit and couldn't get his grades up his, or his freshman year, so he went his sophomore year. Gotcha. So uh, junior year, he ends up winning the Rose Bowl. Um, they played UCLA, very close game. Oge ended up breaking out for, I believe it was a 67 yard touchdown run mm-hmm. to seal that game for him. And he was the runner up at the Heisman that year, wasn't yep. he? Okay. Yeah, that was the year. And funnily enough, he was the runner up to the UCLA yeah, quarterback. quarterback. That's right. And the UCLA quarterback, like his biggest claim to fame after going to the NFL was he's like a very wealthy real estate agent in Southern California now. So he, he ended up pretty good, I guess. Well, better than OJ in the long run. Yeah. yeah. Um, 1968, OJ's senior year ends up winning the Heisman, ran for 1,700 yards and 22 touchdowns, which, again, for a little bit of understanding, um, college they played, I believe it was 12 games that year. Mm-hmm. So he was averaging well over 100 yards a game. He was averaging damn a little near less two than touchdowns two touchdowns a game. A game yeah. And... He was so fast that they put him on the track team, and he ended That's up right. running very close to a sub-10 100-meter mm-hmm. dash, which 
is just crazy fast. And like I say, he wins the Heisman that year, so he's enshrined in history as somebody who was the best in college football mm-hmm. that year after being the second best last year. And at that point, the people in the NFL are going crazy. Oh, yeah. The people in the NFL see the next big guy, the the number one draft pick for sure. Mm-hmm. There's no chance that he's going to be a missed guy. He ran all over everybody in college. He's going to transition to the NFL, and that's just where he's going to be. Where does he go, Adam? Well, before we get there, <clears throat> around that time, just to kind of drive home the point that Ode wasn't necessarily... I don't even know how to put it. He wasn't necessarily... He was trying to fit in more than he was trying to be him. Mm -hmm. And um, right around this time is uh, Vietnam's popping off. So you're going to have Muhammad Ali coming out saying that he's not going to want to be a part of Vietnam. He's not going to be a part of the draft. He's going to have to leave. So um, a bunch of the black coalitions are going around to all the different... Uh, black athletes in college and trying to explain to them that this process, this mechanism, these people don't make money if you aren't you. You're you're what drives this. Mm-hmm. And this is right around the time that um, you see the, I wouldn't really call it protest, but when you see the black fist at the Olympics, yeah. the runners... That was all a part of this big deal that they were going. It was over. the you know what what they would consider the it was the Black Power movement. Yeah, yeah. And they were trying to get all these different athletes. Well, they had gone to OJ and they had told him, "Hey, you're the most influential football player in the world right now. You are the college god. You're more famous than ninety percent of um, NFL players." So they said, "Would you like to come out and make a statement?" in favor that says you are who you are and you're proud to be black and Mm -hmm. you're proud to be a superstar. OJ answered him back and said, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Yeah. That's kind of a reoccurring theme I saw is he wanted to like, in a way it's kind of, it, it's a nice thought, but the way he went about it, I, I don't know any, I don't think the way he went about it was correct, but he wanted to just be seen as OJ. He didn't, it feels like to me watching, you know, the documentaries and everything is that, you know, he, he was selfish in that he only wanted the advancement of OJ and he, and he wasn't going to try to take any hits from anybody else that would go ahead and set him back. I remember he, he was quoted as saying something about like his responsibility is to like himself and his family. And that's kind of where the buck ended on that. And, I mean, these weren't, like, the guys that were with Muhammad Ali. I remember seeing that. And these weren't just, like, amateur guys. These were guys that went on to have, like, professional sporting careers that they were, you know, all-stars in their own right. Well, and it was even professional athletes. Yeah. The runners and everybody that were joining in, the track athletes, the NBA players, everybody was on this movement. Well, it was, so like just some of the bigger names, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Carl Stokes. I mean. You're talking about NFL royalty, mm -hmm. NBA royalty, sprinting royalty. And they're asking this guy from college, coming out of college, to try to be a voice in this, this movement. And he's just like, no, no thanks. 
He was just that big of a deal. They they wanted as much support as they could, and he couldn't even give them that, which I I don't know if it's a, a trait that he has or if it's a chip on his shoulder, but he almost doesn't want to be seen as a black man. He doesn't really care to carry that. that he, wants to, he wants to transcend his race. He want, Yeah, he just doesn't want to have any association with anything negative. And I don't mean to keep harping on this, but it just plays such a big role in everything else that he's done. Because living in Brentwood, living in a predominantly white area, mm-hmm. he was known as the mayor of Brentwood. Yeah. And when you carry that kind of favor and you are that famous and everybody knows you, it unfortunately comes with a lot of benefits that common people just will never mm-hmm. see. And not necessarily that black folks don't get the benefit of the doubt because I don't think that they do. I think mm-hmm. that they're looked at a little bit differently. Understatement. But he didn't want not only the benefit of a doubt, he wanted to be above. That's why he didn't want people to see him as black, because he didn't want them to associate, you know, any of their their negative feelings towards black people on him. Well, and it was just so terrible because he... I, and I'm sure that they all still looked up to him. I'm sure that the community looked up to him because he was them out there on that field. They saw themselves in him out I mean, there slicing and dicing every single week. And so I'm sure that he was cutting, still... Just cutting up the offense yeah. or the defense. <laughs> no stone unturned. I wonder, do you think he wore gloves? I never looked at his hands when he was playing. Do you think he wore gloves to secure the ball? They were probably all too small. <laughs> 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 Again, another common theme mm-hmm. in his life. So he ends up getting drafted. Am I okay to proceed to the NFL? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. So he ends up getting picked by Buffalo, and for the first three years, um, played. I mean, what they would consider either what was it? Did he play poorly in comparison to the expectations, or did he play poorly just for a running back? He got more of a raw deal out of it because he went to a team that was more focused on a passing offense, mm-hmm. which I I assume that he was taken number one by Buffalo just because everybody said you're an idiot if you don't take OJ first. Mm-hmm. And so ending up in Buffalo, he's in an offense that's more pass heavy. They don't give him a lot of handoffs, but when he's getting those few fleeting moments, he just isn't doing what he should. Did he play with Jim Kelly or was that in the early nineties and OJ was already out by then? Yep. Uh, uh, Jim Kelly was, I think they started 91, maybe? On that run, like that three-year run, okay. Late 80s, early 90s. So uh, this was before Thurman Thomas. This was before anybody had really been in Buffalo that was a a superstar. How much do you think that also was playing in Buffalo or him not liking being in Buffalo? Because, I mean, he's used to playing his, you know, his entire college career in California, whether it's, you know, beautiful most of the time or else there's a little bit of rain, but... You go to Buffalo and you're playing in miserable shit for, you know, half your games. And just growing up, even not even just college, growing up in California, there's not a lot of bad days Mm-mm. that happen in California weather-wise. I'm sure that played a part. He, it was kind of like he had so many irons in the fire at that point because he had already kind of started taking acting classes around this time. He knew that he wanted to be more than just an NFL player. Mm-hmm. Um, he had already had, Margarita had already had their first kid. I'm sure transitioning to Buffalo was definitely hard for him because it was on the other side of the country. And, and he was used to, imagine the, like, going from 
being right in the thick of being a celebrity because that's what he was. I think Absolutely. he got, you know, at his time in USC or at USC, um, yeah, he was basically a celebrity. He was the first, what, major um, black college athlete that was like celebrity status. I'm, there might have been some. I'm sure there were some before, but... There were, but when you grow up in Southern California and you're at USC, you're in Los Angeles. You're mm-hmm. you're right there. I think it's an SC in San Diego, like their stadium is, but it's right on the border, I think. No, it's... Is down- it all in Los Angeles? Yeah. Oh, it's maybe, the Rose Bowl. Maybe Reggie Bush had the 619 under his eyes because he was from San Diego. Maybe. That would make sense. But you're in Hollywood. You're there. You're, yeah. Your name's out there. You're going out, even if you're not going out to clubs, bars, or anything like that, you're you're being There's noticed. a constant just, like, nightlife around you. You're used to being able to go and do anything, and, you know, people recognize you everywhere, and then you're just like, boom, Buffalo. Which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Buffalo. What I'm saying is Beautiful OJ is place. the type of person that I think, obviously, we're going to get into, you know, patterns that display this, but... I think he was somebody that needed to go ahead and be in the spotlight at all times. Yeah, and that's, I'm sure, uh, to go to a team that was a pass-heavy team where he wasn't getting the ball 20, 30 times was probably something that really hurt him. And not to mention, at this point, it kind of bears needing to say, but he already wasn't faithful to Marguerite at this time. He's he's already stepping (gasps) out on her, which I know is a, a big shock. You're telling me. This guy, who married this girl in high school or right out of high school, after becoming a superstar, Heisman winning running back, starts fucking around. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's a shocker. I, with as much as he wanted the fame and the attention, I'm shocked that it even took that long. He just was he needed that love. He needed that adoration from everybody around him. And I don't know if I don't know if this is true. Didn't he in the off season? He didn't stay in Buffalo during the off season. I know that's nothing new. The players have homes in different mm-hmm. areas that they, you know, they live in on the off season, but didn't he go back to California every off season? Yeah, well, at that point in time, he had signed the I believe it was the richest rookie contract that an NFL player had ever signed. Mm-hmm. So he he was making a shitload of money yeah. and back in that time in the late sixties, early seventies, I want to say it was like 400,000 a year he's playing for, or maybe that was, I, I think it was 400,000 a year. Really? It, the number sounds small because mm-hmm. it's the seventies. It's before all the major TV contracts. It's before all the big sales. So after the three years there, he finally kind of catches a break. It looks like. He gets a coach that basically comes in, and he had his first coach for two years. Second coach comes in, kind of runs the same shit, and ends up in a passing offense, doesn't do well. He gets fired after one year. And in 1972, they bring in a guy named Lou Saban, who, unfortunately, I'd love to tie him to him. The closest I got was Distant Cousins, um, not related to Nick Saban. Okay. I just, I, you hear Saban, that's the first thing you think of. Yeah. So Saban comes in in 72, decides to build the whole offense around OJ, 
He's giving him handoffs like crazy. I want to say that that first year he averaged somewhere around 29 carries a game, which nowadays is kind of unheard of for a guy to get. Mm-hmm. He just is that much of a workhorse. And still not a good team. They still suck. They're not putting up a whole lot of wins. I, that's the other kind of sad thing. Not sad. I can't ever use the word sad with OJ because there's nothing that I ever feel that's like sad for him. I'm never bummed out about him. Yeah. But he never played for a good team. In 1973, which arguably could be considered one of the best running back seasons ever, he ends up breaking that 2,000-yard mark like we were talking about. And 2,003 yards he ran for during that season. And this was when I believe the NFL was a 13-game season or 14. I think it was 13 games. I don't think they had gone 14, 15, 16, Mm -hmm. and now 17. So everybody beyond OJ that broke the 2,000-yard mark had 16 games to do it. OJ did it in 13. Just unheard of. Most um, yards per carry a game, I want to say in college. In college, he was averaging, and this is a first down is 10 yards. He averaged 9.7 yards a carry his first year at USC. Jesus. So he was almost rushing for a, a first, first down, down every, every time he single touched time. the ball. So comes to the NFL, ends up most yards per carry, most yards per game, just breaking records left and right. 73 after all these years in the doldrums, one decent year, ends up winning the MVP of the league. And like I say, they still weren't good, so it wasn't anything that was phenomenal, but the man just couldn't be stopped. OJ was the focus of that season for Buffalo. It was to see if OJ would do it and not really just not really them being a contender, I yeah, guess. They, their season wasn't about winning. Yeah. They knew that OJ was basically their ticket to getting on TV. Um, next two years, 74 and 75, he still does well. He still, I want to say, rushed over 700 yards both of those seasons. Mm-hmm. But kind of plagued by injuries, wasn't really doing everything that he could out there, I think, just because Buffalo still sucked. Wait, did you say he rushed over 700 yards? Excuse me, yeah. That's not very much. No, but at the same time, you're talking 13 game season. Um, oh, I guess that's true. He's still, it's just such a it's such a stark oh, yeah. contrast between the 2000 and the seven. And he's missing games with um, different injuries he had. I think it was an ankle on a couple other things that didn't people start to kind of realize too that he started kind of backing off the gas a little bit during these final seasons, or he started slowing down at some point because he was like, I I trying to look forward to my future. He's like, I'm not looking to go ahead and get hurt. and That was kind of right around the time where he gets traded to San Francisco oh, and okay. ends his career. But after those kind of two meddling seasons, he breaks out just, again, just goes nuts on him again. Mm-hmm. Just back to OJ form, 1,503 yards that season, eight touchdowns, ran for a record 273 yards on Thanksgiving Day. And it was against the Bears, and he just gashed him every single time. Just runs up the middle. He would plow right through the line and go for just forever. Just poking holes in the line? I, like they couldn't. In almost a, you know, a, like a thrusting motion? Yeah, they're just, yeah. the defense couldn't stop him. He penetrated him every time yeah. he had a chance. Um, That was kind of his... His magnum opus, I wouldn't say, because he still played a lot of years after that, but it was kind of his last big major season. Um, 
it was kind of downhill from there. Yeah, he headed off to San Francisco for two years. Um, it, they weren't great, but he was playing back in his hometown. He was playing back for the people that he grew up around. Mm-hmm. He At this point, him and Marguerite have three kids. Everybody's back in California. Everybody's close. I'm sure he has a, a new stable of women that he's fraternizing with. Um, this... Marguerite will never say that her and OJ had a physical confrontation ever. Mm-hmm. She she said that they argued a lot, they had a lot of issues, but she's never gone out on record and said that they'd ever had a physical confrontation, which we find out earlier or we find out later on down the line after some of the things that happened Nicole happened and after the murder specifically that police are starting to fess up to saying that they had gone to OJ's house back in that time when him and Marguerite were together, they had separated them. She had looked like she was beaten up. So uh, all in all, a very proud woman. I think that she, she was a good person. And I think that it was very unfortunate, not the most unfortunate person to meet OJ, Mm -hmm. but she lived through a lot of hell for a long time. Yeah, I would imagine. Okay. So at that point, is he getting ready to retire? He, Knows that the writing's on the wall. He knows that his best years are behind him. And he really had those aspirations at this point. He had already done a couple things um, in the movies just to kind of wet his beak and being a, an actor. Uh, I have... Was he the spokesperson for Hertz at this point? He got the national campaign for Hertz. Um, his other sponsors, RC Cola, Schick Razors... Wilson Sporting Goods, Tree Sweet Orange Juice, shocker there, mm-hmm. Chevrolet, ABC. He had he was a national spokesman for a company called Pioneer Chicken and even owned, I think it was five or six franchises in California at the time. They obviously are, are under some, it was another company, it might have been Popeye's, that ended up buying all their retail space. Oh, okay. Dingo Boots. He was a, a cowboy boot man. Nice. Very funny old commercials. He, You could see when you watch the old commercials and go ahead and Google them and look them up for Dingo Boots, Pioneer Chicken. He's got it. He's He knows his voice inflections. He knows how to act. He Great smile. He was an excellent sports or a sponsor. Jesus. Spokesperson. There we go. <laughs> cough syrup well i was gonna say so he also um there's a couple movies that he plays in that were actually like serious like dramatic roles about as serious as you can get (laughs) one of them was i think i want to i want to say it was a movie about like the apollo space mission and they'd wanted this actually like stage trained actor to play in it but the studio forced them to take oj in because of his essentially the appeal and star power you could see that and I don't think they feel like he performed very well in it, but it was enough. Oh, no, they were actually surprised at how well he performed in it. There was like a scene where he was on Mars or or something like that. It was some type of space movie, but they got him to do a... Um, he was like dehydrated and like delirious and everything, and he couldn't like talk because his mouth was so like dry. And what the director actually did is they put prosthetics on his mouth to not be able to let him close his mouth. So he had to struggle through that. He was actually like struggling through kind of the makeup and the prosthetics. 
And that's what made him like, he's like, uh, uh, I'm sorry. And it worked to their it, it worked, yeah. So huh. they kind of made up for his inability to do certain acting by forcing him to do something that would actually yield like an acting result. That was very weird, I'm sure. I, I now, don't mean to point that out as less serious than a role that he had had in, I believe it was 1977. But... He was actually in Roots. Was he? Yeah. He was in the... the it must have been a miniseries back then, because it is now. That is what it was. It was always a miniseries, I thought. When they played it even back then, or was it one long movie? I don't know. But I know that it's actually... It's Yeah, I think it's a miniseries. I think it's always been a miniseries. Or maybe they showed it as like a one-night event. It was like five hours. I, I don't know. I see that. I just remember from that 70s show, they tried to record it, and they couldn't. <laughs> So he's in Roots. 1967, even before that, he was in the TV series Dragnet, which before the movie that we mentioned. Wait, what year was last that? Last week. 1960, or shit, 1977. Oh, I was going to say, okay, yeah, so not when he was in college. So 77. It might have been 67. I don't know. I have it written down. I probably did a poor job of uh, researching, but ends up hosting SNL, 1978, which... I'm that's sure it was not a, a big small deal feat. back then. Yeah, is that's... that the, the golden years of SNL? Was that Belushi and Aykroyd? And... Yeah, but I mean, even if it's not the golden years, that's still a pretty... To be an athlete at that time when I don't think they were having a ton of athletes and they weren't really, you know, like celebrities in, in that kind of like regard. That's but weird. I guess because of his crossover, he... I mean, he, he appealed to so many people. That's what's so crazy is he seemed to have had everything. He seemed to have just been kind of like... The guy everybody liked. Charismatic mm -hmm. as hell. And, yeah, like you say, he just he kind of fit the mold wherever he needed to. He was a Gumby of sorts that could really contort himself into whatever role he needed to be to make people happy. So kind of during this time, too, in 77, that's when he first meets Nicole. And she's working at, where was she working? She was working at, I believe it was called the Daisy. It was like a... A bar on the strip. She was just a cocktail waitress. She was 18. Yeah. And I believe at this point he was like 32, maybe 33? Probably. Something like I that. I think that's what you said it was. But I remember uh, seeing that he was with one of his buddies and saw her working and immediately looked at his buddy and was like, I'm going to marry her. And that, keep in mind, he's also married to Marguerite at this time. And it seems like the scariest omen ever to know that a guy that will go on to kill you says, I'm going to have that girl. Mm -hmm. And so much of it, too, is that was his his feel and his appeal, was he knew that if he wanted something bad enough, he could get it, because obviously overcoming rickets, overcoming uh, gang life, things like that, to be a superior athlete and to go on to the NFL, he, he wanted to be the greatest at everything that he did, and I'm sure that didn't end at the field. Well, no, but you got also, like, the way I look at it, too, is from the time that he was at USC and a star at USC, you know, how much trouble did he get into back then? That was all just swept under the rug because of who he was. How much trouble did he get in, you know, his junior and senior years? Uh, did he get into trouble when he was in Buffalo? You know, I'm not talking, like, serious, serious trouble, but things that a normal person would be probably booked and arrested for. I'm not saying he didn't, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that, like, the kind of attitude he has where 
he feels like there was a pattern of him getting away, would have to be a pattern of him getting away with things to make him think that he could always get away. You know, cheating on his wife. He That goes on for two years until he finally divorces her in, like, 79. Yeah, so it, in 1977, when he meets Nicole, his wife is still his wife, and she is very pregnant. Mm-hmm. So he's got another kid on the way, and he is out fraternizing with an 18-year-old Nicole. And he ends up dating her for a while. Just a little background on Nicole, because really... This whole thing, everybody does this. There's a million podcasts on it. I hope that we do it better, and I'm sure with as much research as I've done, it's going to be very good. Oh, fuck. Train of thought. Oh, um, about just podcasts and stories about them is it's always about OJ. And mm-hmm. obviously this whole thing is going to be, not the whole thing, but a good majority of it's going to be about OJ because he's the the only person living out of this to to be a part of it. So, Brown was born uh, May 19th, 1959 in Frankfurt, Germany, to Judith and to Louis. Her mother was German and her father was an American. After moving to the United States, she attended Rancho Alamitos High School in Garden Grove, California. She graduated from Dana Hills High School in Dana Point, California in 1976. So, like you said, she was still 18, fresh out of high school. When she meets OJ, and you have to think his allure at that point to everybody was something because he was in a higher-end club down in California. But she sees this great charismatic guy that's coming close to the end of an NFL career. He's back in uh, San Francisco at this time, so he's a fixture in California Mm -hmm. again. He's, He's not running his game from Buffalo anymore. He's back home, and I'm sure the relationship that they started... Which, by all accounts, they'd said was love at first sight, I guess, between the two of them. And that it was a very passionate courting process, you'd mm-hmm. say. I'm sure they were... Yeah, I don't even want to get into that. I'm sorry, but, like, 18-year-olds are dumb. I was dumb as fuck when I was 18. 18-year-olds don't know what the fuck they're doing. You, you like, introduce an 18-year-old to a famous millionaire... And that's not love. That's infatuation, and I and OJ being fucking OJ, you know, being able to, he there was. I'm trying to remember who said it. If it was one of his buddies, but they're saying one of his gifts is he could find out how he needed to interact with you to get the best possible outcome. He had this this ability to act a certain way around you that made you feel so comfortable that it would almost like. You were willing to do whatever he needed you to do. He, he he could he could pick that out in people, and I'm sure it was something that he learned from a young age because he had to have used that same technique to get a hold of Marguerite the first time. Mm-hmm. He had to have used that same technique to get back in AC's good graces after he stole his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And the, there was so much of this, like we said before, he's not a split personality, but there's just two OJs at all times. He's somebody who later on after the murders and after the trial and everything where he's going on to talk shows and he's talking to people who truly believe that he murdered his ex-wife and her friend. And by the end of these interviews, they're cheering for him. They're on his side. They want to like him. Wherever he goes, Mm -hmm. he just wants to be liked. 
So after he uh, divorces Marguerite in 1979, um, at what point do him and Nicole get married? It's Is it pretty quick? It was... Oh, boy. I don't know why I didn't write that down. When did O.J. get... get married? The first things were like, arrested, convicted. <laughs> uh, they it got was married. a while, because it was February 2nd, 1985. Okay, so, so yeah. Groundhog's Day, 1985. Did they have any kids? They ended up having two. One of them was Justin. The other one was Synthony. Um, or Sydney. Jesus. He had uh, Andre, or Andel... Jason and Aaron from his first wife from Marguerite and unfortunately his youngest uh, Aaron ended up drowning in their pool that's right and it was after they had already been divorced for a couple years and OJ's megalomaniac brain has him saying in an interview that that is what ruined the marriage between him and Marguerite that's when their marriage went south. Not putting the math together. This common theme of OJ just not being smart and not being. He said this mind. after they were already divorced. Yes. Like two years after they were divorced, he said that that was the issue. It wasn't the adultery. It wasn't the beatings. It wasn't the arguments. It wasn't everything that was going on behind closed doors. It was his daughter drowning in the pool at home. And that was what sealed the deal, which, again, two years prior, it's just, it's another lie that he comes up with to try to make him sound like a guy who needs sympathy. Mm -hmm. What kind of happens with him between, like, 79 and uh, 89? He's all over the big screen. Not the big screen, the made-for-TV movie screen. He He starts doing broadcasting, too, doesn't he? He ended up... Um, broadcasting Monday Night Football. He's a sideline reporter, I think. Or he's the, yeah, he's the guy down on the sideline that is like interviewing the coaches and players, I think. He worked with a couple very famous guys. He was a part of a lot of big broadcasts. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Let's take a pee break for a second. Okay. And then we'll get back to it. All right. So what did he do? He was a part of the Monday Night Football cast. Um, as a sideline reporter and in the booth from 83 to 85, he worked with Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell, Don Meredith, all these legends in the broadcasting game and the football game. He was just the man again. Not only was he back in football, but he was doing it on a, the grandest stage again. Yeah. He was, everybody tuned into the Monday night games. Everybody wanted to listen listen to him announce. They wanted to throw it to Oge on the sidelines. The juice is down on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. He's loose on the sidelines. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to him, see what he's got for us. I'm sure he probably wasn't goosing any of the cheerleaders down there. He probably kept his hands to himself. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Okay, so in 1989, there's uh, the New Year's incident. So the police, over the, the course of... Is it just that one New Year's they're called eight times? It was Or is that over the course of like a longer period of time? It was over the course of their whole marriage. And Nicole kind of looked the other way on the infidelity because when he would cheat and she would find out, he would always use 
the excuse of, well, we're not married, so it doesn't count, which that's not how you do things. That's not a, an excuse. And unfortunately it was something that she wanted to believe. And I'm sure so much of her life, she was told things that she wanted to believe by juice that it was just kind of her natural reaction was just to say, okay, these things are going to get better. So eight times between 84 and 89 when they were married, they had been called by the police, or the police had been called seven times at that point because the police just wouldn't do anything. He would beat her. There were instances where she would be outside standing on top of the car and the windshield on the car would be shattered and OJ would be holding a bat. They would ask her what happened. She would say, he went nuts. He chased me out. He accused me of cheating. He accused me of doing drugs. Anything from going out with her friends and not telling him. Just every single thing that OJ felt he needed to take out on her, he would take out on her. And just the disgust of the shit that he did to this poor lady. He would rip on her and make fun of her and tear her down for every pound that she would gain when she was pregnant. Well, I remember seeing testimony or an interview with the police officer. I don't know if it was the seventh or eighth time. So they get a domestic disturbance call. He goes out there. She comes running down. And at this time, they're in Brentwood. So yep. I don't think we covered that. So he ends up moving to Brentwood, which what you were saying, it's a really wealthy neighborhood in L.A. County. Yeah, it's um, kind of closer to, like, Santa Monica. Okay. So he's literally, like, the only black guy in this entire neighborhood but the neighborhood loves having him there because it's OJ and they all have this specific view of OJ. He's a star. Um, they even said like he, he used to be like the first um, black guy that was uh, allowed to come into certain country clubs in California. There were a couple country clubs that, and all the guys, even the guys that were racist wanted to go and have their pictures taken with OJ. Well, yeah, he was, he was the kitty's titties at that point. He was somebody that everybody wanted to photo op with, which I'm sure is fun nowadays looking back at old pictures. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, is that, is that you and OJ? Yeah. So she ends up calling 911 during this this specific incident, and um, they get an officer up there. He drives up to OJ's house. He's aware that it is OJ Simpson's house, I think. Oh, yeah. They, I think the... Yeah. They were there so much that it was a pretty common yeah. crime. So she comes running out in bra and sweat saying, he's going to kill me. Um, the... He actually comes out. OJ comes out and is, like, looking through the gate or something like that. And he, I don't know if he says anything or he might have said something, but... Oh, yeah. It was enough to where... Did he say something to the cop? Oh, yeah. What do he say? He comes out... He yells at the cops. He says, you guys have been here eight times before and haven't done anything. Why are you doing anything now? And then he goes on to say, this is a family matter that should be handled in the house between me and Nicole. This doesn't involve you. Domestic violence that she calls the police okay. on. As she's all beat up, she had been choked. She had yeah. been punched in the face. And, she, and he saw that she had had signs of domestic abuse. I mean, oh, her face was... Very so at clear. that point, I just couldn't remember exactly what it was that um, prompted him to uh, attempt the arrest. So he started reading him his rights uh-huh. and actually told him that he was being placed under arrest. Didn't he allow him to go and get a jacket or a shirt on or something like that? And then yep. literally he just leaves out the back door. <laughs> and does he, is it the Bronco that he takes? No. No, it's a different car. Oh, he sees him in like a Bentley or it's like. It's a blue Bentley. Yeah. 
So he gets in a Bentley and he literally sees like a side gate open and the blue Bentley just takes off. Yeah, just couldn't even be bothered to be arrested. They told him to go inside to get dressed to be arrested. So at this time, like you, you don't just get out of an arrest if you're able to get away from the person arresting you. It's not like that. So he technically is still, this cop has said, he's like, I'm, he, at this point, he is still under the, in the process of being arrested. Yeah. And his, narcissi- or his narcissistic tendencies kicked in so much to think that he could just drive away and the problem would but go they, away. But they didn't go and arrest him. Didn't he have to turn himself in like days later? They didn't never act- ended up getting arrested for it. No, he they leaves nev- that night. They go. They chase him. They try to get him. He obviously loses them in the streets. And then doesn't the, the cop actually, he said he kept the arrest report. Or he kept his file from that, the report from that incident. Because he had done some research prior after he got back to the station and found out that it had happened previously. And he was afraid that because nothing had been done, something was being done to the police reports. So he kept a copy of it himself so that if he ever went back or something happened and they went back to the police reports, he would have the original to show what had happened in the incident. It wouldn't be like them reviewing a doctored police report. Just his own personal record of it. He kept it because he knew something was going to... He's like, I have... You know, I have a feeling something's going to happen. Well, and the other really bad thing about it is um, after he gets away, the officer that tried to arrest him and one of the ones that was involved in the chase comes back to Nicole. He asks her if she's okay, if she needs medical assistance again. She says no. He says, come down to the station. Let's get some documentation of this. Let's take some pictures of what's going on. That way we have the record, which I'm sure Mm -hmm. you were talking about, something that he kept. She agrees, goes down to the station, um, takes the pictures, goes back to Rockingham that night. And just kind of for reference, there's going to be three major points that come out of this. Uh, There's going to be the Rockingham estate, which is where he lives and where him and Nicole lives or lived. Uh, There's going to be Bundy residence, which is the apartment that Nicole moves out into, which is where the murder takes place. And then there's going to be the Bronco that's on the side street. Those are kind of the three hot points of where they're going to find their the bulk of their evidence. Okay. So, Oge comes back home that night. Nicole's obviously home. And Rockingham is in Brentwood, just just yep. for clarification, so we're not mixed up. Yeah. Brentwood is the community, the neighborhood. Rockingham um, is, is the, the name of the estate, his, mm-hmm. his place. Okay. Cobb comes back the next day, talks to Nicole, asks her what she wants to do, how she wants to proceed. She tells him that they had talked about it that night. Everything was okay. She had covered for him and just basically wanted the whole thing to go away. They, She said they wanted to handle it themselves. Luckily, because of the documentation, when the police officer did turn in his report, OJ was still charged. Uh, I believe it was battery. Is that when he pleads no contest? Yep. Sp- okay, he, so he pleads no contest to spousal battery. It's like $750 in fines. <sighs> He sentenced to community service, which it was, I think, 200 hours, right? Yeah. Do you know what he... Yes. He, <laughs> he is able to... Let me see if I can describe this correctly. Um, he spends 200 hours organizing a celebrity charity golf tournament. Correct. And he also gets to play in the tournament as part of the community service hours because it's... That's what he put together for charity. And it's a charity event. Yeah. So he gets to write all that off. He told them that he couldn't actually be present at the counseling sessions because he was such a big deal and had to travel around and do all this stuff. 
that he talked them into actually teleconferencing in to these counseling sessions. He couldn't even be bothered to go see a counselor that the police appointed to him. And just like you were talking about with everything else that he seems to squeeze away, get away, ends up cutting himself a hole to get out, he goes into the same thing again. So they, the- they, al- they allow him to do so much with either Little, the golf charity community service, to no repercussions. $750 fine? Nothing. It's, it, all of it's just nothing. He gets away scot-free every single time. He, there was a, an incident that Nicole writes about um, in her diary and subsequently in a letter to him later on that they find in her safety deposit box that said they got into a fight one night so bad and he beat the shit out of her so bad that they took her in to get x-rays on her face because he had broken her face. Mm-hmm. And she told the x-ray technician and the doctor that she had fallen off a bike. And that was what happened. And, of course, the doctor looks at this and says, those are fist marks. It's not you hitting yeah. a rock with your face. And goes through all the questioning of, was this an accident that mm-hmm. actually happened? Talked to OJ about it. Story matched up. There wasn't anything that they could do, but they did kind of keep a log of it to make sure that somebody, if this ever came back up, it was going to be a situation that they had record of. So finally, after all this shit, uh, she files for divorce in 92. Which sounds like it would be an ending to the relationship, but... It really just intensified. Not for the juice. No, the juice was about to get loose in divorce. And <laughs> that was the other thing that we missed in uh, 89 at the New Year's uh, attempted arrest. Mm-hmm. Was as he was walking back inside, he turned around and told the cops to take Nicole because he had two other women inside in his That's, bed. Yep. Which... That was how the fight initially started, they believe, was O.J. was humping some other chick in another bed and then came into bed with Nicole, and obviously she's going to be a little angry about that, and he couldn't stand it. He he. It was almost like she was an acquisition for him. Like mm-hmm. She wasn't even... She was a trophy. That, that's all it was. He was. She was another trophy that he could add to her trophy case. Well, and then he couldn't have her anymore. It wasn't on his terms that it ended. No. He it, didn't get to end it on his terms, so... In in that sense, she was still a possession to him. And not to mention the narcissistic tendencies that just keep popping up everywhere. He's uh, His narcissism is unfettered. He's It just never ends. From even till today, it's still there and it's still just glaring. But he um, just starts stalking her left and right. Just everywhere she goes, she tells her sister... Everywhere he goes, I go. I look in my rearview mirror, his Bronco's there. I look behind me at the gym, he's there. I'm getting coffee, he's there. He's just everywhere. And she's letting people know at this point that it is happening. Well, she starts dating like a restaurateur for a while. And they're out, I think, at... Is he is he a restaurateur? I'm trying to remember. She starts dating this guy. And he's, you know, he's not OJ wealthy or OJ famous... But she's dating this guy, and they're out to dinner one night, and O.J., it was like right before, I think, they were finally divorced. Because they were separated for a little while before Mm -hmm. the divorce actually occurred. But it was right before they actually got divorced, 
she was out on a date and he comes up to their table, knew where they were, <laughs> comes up to the table and just looks at Nicole and he's like, that's my wife. And the guy was talking about, he's like, you know, I know who he was. Um, I stood my ground. I, I didn't, didn't show that I was intimidated by him. Of course I, you know, was a little bit and everything. Um, but apparently that, I don't think that was the only incident where he had confronted her when she was with someone else. He confronted her at a club when she was out with another guy at one point. And this is probably the most well-known stalking incident that had happened, that he had had. But she's out at a club with this poor fella who I'm sure probably knew who OJ was, but he saw a beautiful blonde Nicole Simpson and just wanted to be with her. They're out at a club, and as she's passing through on the dance floor, OJ shows up. OJ walks up to her and asks her what she's doing, who she's there with. The guy that she's there with ends up seeing him, sees that he doesn't look very happy, uh, goes away. Later on, uh, he's questioned about this. He says that he was at the club with a bunch of different people, didn't even know that Nicole was there, hadn't ever run into her, saw her, anything like that. They leave the club, go back to her house, uh what they thought was just Nicole and the guy that she was dating that night. And Juice ends up peeking in her window and sees them getting down. Obviously, that sparks a lot of anger in him, which he was just always quick to is anger. Is this at Rockingham or is this at her apartment? This was at her apartment. Okay. This wasn't at Rockingham. Oj was still there. And ends up beating on the door, just going nuts, start raving mad outside. She opens the door, he comes in, gets in the guy's face, just starts, this is my wife, this is my woman, she's mine, you shouldn't be touching her, I saw what happened, just going nuts. Nicole pulls him into a room, the guy's sitting out front, just listening to OJ scream and yell and mm-hmm. go nuts in there. Doesn't and he come out and he shakes his hand and he's yep. like, sorry man, you know how it is, or hey. some <laughs> shit like that. They walk out of the room. OJ's finally calmed down, walks right back up to the guy, which I'm sure he's shitting his pants after he just heard him freaking out in the room, shakes his hand and says, I'm a proud man, you know what that's like, right? And then leaves. So, he's, anywhere she is, he's going to be, he's going to try to intimidate anybody that she's around. Uh, Somebody else that will come up very soon, Cato Caitlin, Mm -hmm. was... A guy that lived in... He lived in a guest house on the property, right? Yep, he lived in Juice's guest house. Um, After the divorce happens and Nicole moves out and moves into Bundy, uh, he was actually her friend. And she was... Kato was. Kato was. They had met in Aspen skiing and Mm -hmm. become friends. He came out and was trying to be a male model, do the acting thing and all that. He was going to end up moving in with Nicole at her apartment and Nicole and the kids, obviously part-time then. Mm. And OJ pulls him aside. They have a little talk and Cato says that him and OJ decided together that it wouldn't look right for a young single woman to be living in a house with a bachelor and ends up saying, if you don't go live with her, I'll let you live in my guest house for free. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay any rent. You'd have to pay with Nicole. Stick around here. B 
be my buddy, hang out with me, everything's good, nobody's questioning Nicole living with some guy that wasn't me. Which, just another, she's his possession, she doesn't, yeah, it's or another, he doesn't it's, want Yeah, it's image. just another method of control. To look bad, yeah. yeah. De- denying her something, having her friend there, while at the same time being able to go ahead and keep tabs, I don't know, keep tabs on her through Kato? Well, and I'm sure keeping Kato there and not letting him go was, he didn't want that image that they were broken up. He always wanted Nicole to be attainable for yeah. him and have everybody around him, like we've talked about, that that image, that front that he keeps up, he wanted everybody to believe that him and Nicole were still working things out, that they were going to get back together. Which, unfortunately, things are going to take somehow an even darker turn. Uh, What do we got? June 7th, there's a call to a women's shelter that they believe... This is in 94, right? Yeah, 94. 94, Uh, They believe that it was Nicole... She called the women's shelter and was saying that she was being stalked and beaten by her ex-husband and that she needed help. During a couple of the calls that she had made to the police when OJ would stalk her and break into her apartment, the police would, or the dispatcher would ask, uh, who is it? And she would say, it's OJ. You know who he is. You know his tendencies. Uh, yeah. You know his history. So it, this was fairly well known at this point, just how bad it was. And whether it was her talking to them or whether it was them coming out and seeing the domestic violence calls, it, they had to be fairly mm-hmm. sure about what was going on. So June 12th, so five days later, um, Nicole and her family, they're out to dinner at, is, is it Mezzaluna? Mezzaluna. And was Ron with them? He worked at Mesa. That's right. He was he a waiter. Was... Like, the coincidence is really weird, yep. how it makes it sound. So, she's out to dinner with her family. They they, they go back to Nicole's apartment. Yeah. And her mother had forgotten her glasses at dinner. Yep. So, or left them there at the restaurant. They had just left a dance recital for OJ's daughter with Nicole. And OJ was there. She didn't save him a seat. Mm. This was like the night that Nicole was going to say, we're done. I I can't deal with you anymore. She had told her sister earlier that day that she wanted to be free. She wanted to live her life. Mm -hmm. She wanted a second act, basically. And that she was going to tell OJ that they were done. So he doesn't come to dinner with them. He leaves the recital by himself. They go to dinner. Him and Cato supposedly had gone to McDonald's that night. He told police they had gone. He'd had a Big Mac. He described what he ate, just tried to cover all his yeah. bases. And Cato told the same story. So there's a good chance that they actually did go do that before things happened. Okay, so Nicole's mom forgets her glasses at the restaurant. Ron is still working there at the time. Yep. So correct. between the time frame that Ron leaves work, I don't know if he... I'm trying to remember the details. I don't believe he left work to go take the glasses. I think he was just going to grab them at the end of his shift and bring them to Nicole's because her parents weren't there at the time. He was leaving to go out that night and just took the envelope with the glasses in it, said, hey, I'll run these by Nicole's house. Uh, Goes home. He ends up getting dressed for a hot night out, which Ron and Nicole had met each other they were introduced by somebody that Ron was neighbors with mm-hmm. at a coffee shop one day. Struck up a friendship. They would go to the gym a lot. There was no... He was like an aspiring actor or model or something yep. like that, wasn't he? Just an absolute great guy. And I got to get into him because he he deserves this. He's probably the most unfortunate person in this story just because he 
he literally did not see it coming. Well, no, and he was at the wrong, just, it's, you know, he knew that, OJ knew where Nicole was, and I'm not saying that it's not a tragedy, please don't take it like that, but it's just with Ron, it just happens to literally be a, a situation of wrong place at the wrong time. Well, and he was such a good guy, too. He was born in, he was born on July 2nd, 1968, grew up in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, which was near Chicago. His parents divorced in 1974, and when he was six years old, his mom ended up abducting him and his older sister and took them away from the dad, told them that dad didn't want you anymore, so I took you. Dad fights as hard as he can to get him and his sister back, ends up getting him and his sister back, and then they move out to move away from the situation. Mom never enters their life again. And they move out to California. So when he was, I believe, 14 years old, him or his sister were 14 years old, they were going out to get ice cream, something like that. His dad, Ron, and his sister end up getting hit by a drunk driver. And big crash, car's on fire. Ron actually gets back inside the car to save his sister's life as police are getting there. Pulls her out of a burning wreck. She ended up having third-degree burns on a good portion of her body, but ended up saving her life as a kid, like just as his sister. And their bond was incredible. We'll talk later on after the trial about what their family's done because they've done just a lot of great things. Yeah, He was a camp counselor. Um, he volunteered and spent time with kids that had... Some type of disability or... Yeah, cerebral palsy Okay, is what it was. So he was a... He just tried at everything that he did. He did a year of college, decided that it wasn't for him. Um, and that was initially when they moved to California. Or he moved to be back with his family. And moved to Brentwood. Brent was incredibly high. He held three or four different jobs while trying to be a model and mm -hmm. an actor. He ultimately wanted to own his own restaurant, which I'm sure Mezzaluna was hopping back then. And I'm sure it was a something that he saw and that he wanted and thought that he could have for himself. So ends up leaving to go to Nicole's, getting ready to go out on the night. Like I said, there had never been any real talk of them being together they mm -hmm. had both kind of dated on and off on knowing each other. They yeah. were just friends. And he shows up at the house, and this is where things get very, very fishy. So here's kind of a breakdown of what they have the suspected time frame of, yeah. uh, just to kind of provide context. So we've got through um, at 9.15 is when, 9.15 p.m. is when one of Nicole's sisters calls Mezzaluna to say that Nicole's mother left her glasses. Ron Goldman volunteers return the glasses. So somewhere between 9 and 9.30, uh, Kato Kalin and OJ go to McDonald's, is what they, they say. 9.45, Kalin and Simpson get home. 9.48 to 9.50, that's when Goldman leaves the restaurant with the white envelope containing the glasses. 10.45, or sorry, 10.15, so roughly half an hour later, while watching television, Pablo Fen Fenwes, a neighbor of Nicole Brown Simpson, hears the cries and constant barking of a dog. So that's at 10.15. 10.25, limousine driver Alan Park arrives at Simpson's house. 10.40, uh, Cato hears three loud thumps 
on an outside wall of his room. 10.40 to 10.50, Park buzzes intercom several times but does not get any response. So at this point, the limo driver has been outside his house for half an hour. About half an hour, a little bit less. At 10.55, so half an hour later, Park calls his boss and tells him Simpson is not at home. He's told to wait until 11.15 since Simpson is always late. Shortly before 11, Park sees a black person, 6 feet, 200 pounds, walking across the driveway toward the house. <laughs> About Which 11... isn't suspicious at all. <laughs> yeah, walking out across the driveway toward the house. About 11 p.m., Cato uh, Kalen goes to the front of the house to check on the noise. He sees the limousine driver at the gate. Several seconds later, Park again buzzes the intercom and Simpson answers. He says he had overslept and just gotten out of the shower. 11 to 11.15, Simpson puts his bags in the limousine. They leave for the Los Angeles airport. He arrives at the airport at 11.35. 11.45, he leaves on American... Damn, like he arrives 10 minutes before the flight. He's OJ. Like, he, apparently, okay. Security wasn't a thing for him. <laughs> Simpson leaves on an American Airlines flight to Chicago to go play in the Hertz Rent-A-Car Golf Celebrity like Pro-Am tournament or something. Yep. And then at... Two or at twelve uh, ten a.m., the bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman are discovered outside her townhouse. About five a.m., detectives Mark Furman and Philip Vanader, 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 we're going to be talking about them a lot in part two. Arrive at Simpson's house. Uh, five fifteen to five thirty, the detectives examine an apparent blood stain on Simpson's Ford Bronco, which is parked on like a side street, right? Yep. There's yep. like an, a gate that goes past the walkway goes past Cato's. Between the Bronco and the house, the pathway between there is where the um, Bronco is parked, and you got to walk between his house or by his house to get to OJ's house. It, it was like a side street, and the way that the Bronco was parked was very disheveled. It was in an angle, so it looked yeah. like somebody parked it. What I'm saying, quick. what I'm saying is, OJ from getting out of the Bronco would have to walk past Cato Kalen's house, which would be the thump on his wall. He supposedly in. This is almost even corroborated by OJ afterwards. Mm -hmm. But if he had done it, he said that he had hopped the fence and had tripped against the AC unit for Cato's guest house Uh and had fallen up against Cato's house. So that would have been the thumps. Gotcha. Okay. So the detectives, as they see the apparent blood stain on the Bronco... Um, about 10 minutes later, Detective Furman decides to jump the wall in order for the police to get inside the estate. At that point, because they're seeing the blood, they feel like there's probable cause for someone either injured inside or something happening inside. Which There, there is, but at this point, they don't know that that's OJ's Bronco yet. Correct. So they're entering his property without a search warrant, okay. which is a big no-no. And I'm sure we'll cover that as part of the oh, trial yeah. and everything. So he... Um, Ends up letting the other police inside. Once on the grounds, the detectives awaken Simpson's daughter, um, who's staying in, I guess, another guest house. And um, she takes police into the house and telephones Kathy Randa, her father's longtime assistant. Um, 7 to 7.30, protective, or sorry, protective, detective Vanader uh, declare the area cl- uh, crime scene and goes to get a warrant to search the house. Sometime in this, I think, is where the glove is first found but not touched or anything. Yeah, so, unfortunately was for it Fer- Was it Furman that finds the glove, and he thought it was, like, either a pile of dog shit, because it's a dark brown isotoner, but then he kind of looked back at it after he passed it, and he saw that it was a glove, and he could see it was, like, wet or something. He, this is after he hops the fence, after he talks to Cato, he's walking around the lawn, 
And he finds a path that has a few blood droplets on it. That's so right. So obviously he starts following the blood droplets and ends up coming on what you said, the crumpled dark brown mess. Gets his flashlight on it, realizes that it's a bloody glove. And he had already previously been over at the Bundy estate where the murders had happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what his thought process was, if he had seen the glove that was there. And um, kind of going back a little bit, so the murder scene that they find at Bundy is um, an Akita comes running back towards its owner, and it's got blood-stained paws, and it's just barking up a storm. Mm-hmm. And somebody on the street sees it and goes and follows the Akita back, and that's how Ron and Nicole are discovered. Um, when the police show up, they find three things there. They find a blue knit cap, they find a black glove, and then they find the glasses in the... Is it a black glove or is it a dark brown? Uh, it's a matching glove to the yeah. other glove. Whatever. Well, glove. they didn't know that at this point. Okay. So... Along that trail, they're looking and they see... Back at Rockingham. No, at Bundy still. Oh, okay. They see a trail leading down the sidewalk of blood droplets on the left side. So they assume that whoever oh, had yeah, committed the right. crime had had an injury to his left hand and mm-hmm. the blood was dripping down yeah. that way. So fast forward to they get to Rockingham. Uh, Furman finds the glove. They and, see, and they And they went there... From what it says, they went there because OJ was like, and the children were next of kin, to go notify them. No, that's what I'm saying. You have to say that the reason you're going up there. But at the same time, in how many, you know, just statistically, in situations in which women are murdered, how often is it that it's either their former partner or current partner? It's something like 80, like 80%, 70 that's to 80%. A lot. So... The natural reaction is going to be to go question OJ to find out if he's a suspect and where he was. Under the guise, I think, of going up there to notify him of what happened, because that is also where the children probably are. Well, No, no, the children were at Bundy. Weren't they sleeping? Yep, they were upstairs asleep in their rooms. When they walked into Bundy, they found lit candles around the bathtub, and they found an open pint of ice cream that she had opened. So whoever showed up, she was not expecting. I'm sure she was expecting Ron to show up, but whoever Drop off got the glasses and yep, whoever got there first, she definitely wasn't expecting. And from just the stab wounds and just the grizzly well, Ron nature, was there at the time. I, the timeline they still there's a bunch of different theories about it, but they think the best timeline would be Ron had walked up on what was going on. And Ron was trained in Kung Fu or Karate or something like that. So he he could handle himself. He was a fairly big dude, too. But Ron walks up, allegedly, supposedly, sees somebody tangling with Nicole. Nicole is found with a blunt, like she was found with an injury to her head that's consistent with being hit with like a blunt object, Mm -hmm. which could be the butt of a knife. Did they ever find the murder weapon? No. Well, again, there's some weird things about that that we'll get into, but officially, no. My my entire conversation on this is going to be that OJ is guilty. So, like, any questions I ask or any points I make, it's that, like, I'm just going to say, like, did he go there to do that? Or did he go there, they were in the midst of an argument, he saw Ron show up, 
and he was like, oh, you're with this guy, and then he went into a rage, and, you know, what, regardless of his intention going there, what I'm curious about is, did he bring a weapon to do that? Was he always carrying one on him? Was this premeditated? Was this, like, he went into a rage because he saw her with another guy that just so happened to be dropping off some glasses, thought they were dating, and just killed him? Because he doesn't have a huge window of time here. No, he doesn't, but at the same time, between the Bundy apartment and Rockingham, it's like four to six blocks. It's very close. So, excuse me, his lapse in time to get back mm-hmm. home, not that not that wide. So he's he's spying on her and stalking her so much that he's literally got a flight to catch, goes and gets McDonald's, and then is like, that's what I'm trying to figure out, is his is his sole goal in this to go and stalk her and then he sees Ron show up and he goes and immerse them or does he go there and he says because I have this as an alibi coming up this flying out Chicago I'm going to go kill her now and then I'll just get away my theory behind it and what I truly think happened and this obviously is not official in any means and this is kind of a little of the psychology of it mm-hmm. but the fact that Nicole had told her sister that night that she was moving on and that she was finally done with Juice mm-hmm. and didn't want to be with him anymore, if she had said something to him at the recital or after the recital, post-recital, pre-dinner, mm-hmm. saying, this is it, I'm done with you, I, I'm over, if you show up at my house again, I am calling the police, mm-hmm. I am having you arrested, I need to live my life, I could 110% see that throwing him into a rage enough to be like, all right, I need to... If I can't have you, no one's going to have you. Exactly. Something like that. Yep. So I think, personally, he showed up. Um, there was a gate that I think he walked into. I think he showed up that night, which I've gone back and forth, but just seeing so much now, I think that he probably did have the intent of murdering her. I originally thought that it was kind of what you were talking about. Like, he showed up into a situation that he didn't expect, went into a murderous rage, snapped finally how do you fucking completely. do that with like the kids up like i yeah i don't i i don't have that capability of thinking about that well and uh, <laughs> we'll get into the call but he makes some very weird non-statements when he finds out from the police but i think he shows up i think he knocks on the door i think nicole comes out they have a little argument he gets a hold of her they kind of start to get in a tussle. He may have stabbed her at this point. I don't know. I think Nicole or Ron walks up onto what's going on, sees what's happening. He dispatches Nicole with a sharp hit to the top of the head with the knife, drops her out cold, engages Ron. Ron had defensive wounds when they found him mm-hmm. on his arms, and he was stabbed somewhere, I want to say it was around like 15 to 20 times. So he wasn't going down without a fight, and they also found he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't a small dude either. I think he was like six one. Yeah, they, they were probably around the same mm-hmm. height. Because OJ at that lighter. point, he wasn't playing football anymore. I think they said he was down somewhere around like two hundred pounds. So I mean, he wasn't like in his peak like playing days. No. So he's you know he's not as form- formidable, but I mean, he's still a big dude. Well, and he's still an athlete that that is... has a knife. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they probably got into some sort of a skirmish. Oh, just just stabbing the shit out of him, trying to go away. 
Ron with that fight or flight instinct going all the way back to saving his sister from a burning car mm-hmm. isn't going to let anything happen to Nicole. He probably went out fighting like a champ being just the the bad motherfucker that he was. I think after he had killed Ron, he had turned back to Nicole and he had sliced her throat yeah. so far. Which we're not good at like trigger warnings or anything like that. It if you're a, a victim of domestic violence or anything like that, I, I'm i sorry we should have started off by saying this is going to get a little deep, but he sliced her so far that there was a mark on her vertebrae, like on yeah, her spine. Yeah, they, they is just, it's, I, it's, man, it's disgusting to talk about, honestly, but I think they said that there was something that her father had said that they had to go ahead and have her wearing a turtleneck at her funeral because he had almost, he had almost like decapitated her. And so, I mean, that's really all I want to go ahead and say about that. Yeah. Um, It it was just, the way they describe it, it was just, it was carnage and it was just like, it was like an animal. Well, and the only reason that I bring it up is because I feel like, it kind of plays into a certain, like when you walk into a crime scene and you see somebody that is shot six times Mm -hmm. and then somebody that shot twice, when you start locking up the list of suspects, you want to see which one of the victims was probably the focus of the attack. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like we talked about, Ron was just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And had he walked up on OJ and Nicole fighting, and OJ saw another dude showing up to see Nicole, mm-hmm. he was probably just lost it even worse at that point. He was already yeah. in a murderous rage, but then he sees some dude showing up. So the only reason I bring up what he did to Nicole and what he did to Ron was because it starts It shows to, that Nicole, I mean, it, it's supporting the fact that Nicole was the target. Yes. It was also her correct. house. Ron wasn't going to be known to have been there at the house, so it paints her that it was, the crime was against her. Yep. That's what it allows you to do. So it allows you to say the crime was against her, and it was Ron that was kind of the, the bystander on that. So at this point, they turn um, Rockingham into a crime scene. They call OJ, um, let him know what happened. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, my God, Nicole's dead. Um, okay, I'll come back. So he ends up coming back. Well, at this point... If you are a father, you don't ask the police how she died. But almost more importantly, are as the kids a father, okay? yeah, you don't ask who has the kids. You don't. <coughs> so, sorry, you're good. You don't ask, are they safe? You don't ask what happened to them. You just found out that your ex-wife, who's watching your kids, was murdered, and. You don't ask the question, are my children okay? Which, I mean, if you don't ask that question, why do you probably not ask that question? Yeah. Because you know that the kids are okay because you were the one that killed your wife and didn't touch the kids. And so he ends up coming back. The police, at this point, they've um, already established DNA evidence. Or are they in the process of doing DNA evidence? They're still waiting on DNA evidence. The... They never arrested OJ when he came back and they brought him in for questioning. Yeah. Which the police at this point, I don't know if it was that privilege that he had finally earned that we had talked about, but they bring him in for questioning 
and never ask a follow-up question to an answer. No, it was two cops, and he he made it to where the information provided during that questioning was completely unusable because he kept going off on tangents of stuff. You'd be like, well, then I was in Chicago, and I was uh, took a shower. And then after I took my shower, what did I do? What did I do? I think I went to go get a beverage. And then he provides all of these, like, detailed things, and it's just basically nonsensical talking about everything they can't use anything because some of the stuff is contradicting other stuff and like you said they didn't ask like follow-up questions like hey where were you between this time well i went to mcdonald's like it they were just taking things that he said as they were and not only that they question him about a fairly large cut on his left hand and how he had sustained that injury he told them that in a fit of rage after finding out that Nicole had been killed, he smashed a glass and mm-hmm. it cut his left hand. And they don't ask a follow-up question. No. What they was... know that there's an injury potentially to the murderer on his left side. Oge has a cut on his left hand. And they didn't ask a follow-up question. And just... So the, the DNA... It takes a little bit more time to run DNA at this point. I, it I still only took them like three or four days. At I this know, point, but it's though, not. But it's not immediate. No, it's not like they could uh, bring in OJ after already establishing that the blood from the trail at Nicole's residence matched his blood. They they haven't been able to go and tie that because they can't use that for questioning. Yeah. I don't know if they would use that for questioning. Um, well, and at this point, they considered him a suspect kind of on the peripherals, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have a direct link. They just saw blood and blood. And originally when they went in to notify quote unquote OJ, when they saw the blood, they immediately got concerned that whoever had killed Nicole had come over and killed OJ. Mm -hmm. So that's why they were knocking on the door. That's That's why they were trying to gain entry because they thought after all the blood trail and everything that they had seen that the killer had shown up to kill OJ. Not that OJ was quite the killer yet, but they thought that his life was in danger. I'm too. trying to remember what was his friend's name that was the cop. Well, he had a lot of them. He he played in charity golf tournaments. Yeah, for there was one guy that he used to hang out with that he grew up with as well. I think, and it was like his his buddy. But anyway, so kind of like you were saying, what he's telling the cops about how he hurt his hand. So that guy's hanging out with them, and someone asked OJ, like, "Hey, what'd you do to your hand?" He's like, "Ah, oh. he's like I um, he's like I was golfing." And yep. he did something like with a T or something like that. Um, he swung and caught. It, it was some bullshit. And that guy was with him. And then he was with someone else. And they asked him how he hurt his hand. And he made up a third story about like um, he was working on his car. Or he was working. Oh, he was working on the Bronco. He was trying mm-hmm. to reach inside the Bronco for something. And he caught his hand. So he has the story that he told to the two cops that were interviewing him, which his friend who is the cop knows that story, mm-hmm. then tells him in front of him two other stories. And at this point, his buddy was like, I think he did this. And so at some point, <clears throat> his he goes to this guy and he's like, hey, you know, you got to help me. Um, he's trying to ask him about, I don't know if he's asking him like, what are the like hypothetical making them sound like hypothetical <laughs> questions or yeah, anything like I, that? It but would it, be strictly hypothetical. Correct. But point. it makes this guy switch around and be like, I think he did this. And so he, he breaks off any contact with him at this point. I can't remember for life of me what this guy's name is. Um, 
And at what point, what evidence did they get back that the warrant was actually ordered for his arrest? Was it at the point when the DNA came back and it was DNA from the glove found at OJ's had Nicole's DNA? Or, yes, it matched Nicole's, correct? (laughs) The amount of blood that they found on everything in the house was something incredible. The amount of DNA and everything. Uh, Ron Ship. That's right. Was the yep, retired LAPD That's officer. what they, yep. Come on, Ship. Come on, Ship. So, they get, or they gotten all this forensic evidence back. Um, on the glove that they had found at OJ's place, they found OJ's blood, Nicole's blood, and Ron's blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had found fibers in OJ's socks from, I believe it was, it might have just been blood and DNA, but they had found something of Ron's and something of Nicole's mm-hmm. on socks that they had found in OJ's place. And obviously, when he sneaks back into his house, he's taking clothes off, he's trying to get in the shower, oh, yeah. He this cut on his hand keeps bleeding... They had found DNA in the sink in the bathroom, which I don't know if that would be the only place he would have washed off, Mm -hmm. but that was the only sink that they had checked in the drain in the sink. So they had just a mountain of evidence that they knew was going to be something that they could convict. There was, I mean, Nicole and Ron's blood from Bundy was found at O.J.'s Rockingham Estate. Not just on the glove, either. It was found inside the residence. They found uh, bloody footprints in the blood at Bundy, which they had found footprints outside of the house at Brentwood, so I'm sure they probably compared those Mm -hmm. as well. And it was a... This will come up again in the civil trial, but it was a a very rare pair of Italian shoes that they had only made so many of. Mm Mm-hmm. And not to mention, I don't know if they'd figured it out at this point, but the glove that they found at the scene and the glove that they found at Rockingham, which the second scene, were a pair of very rare gloves that they had only sold at somewhere on Fifth Avenue. It was like a Saks or something Mm. like that. They had only made a few hundred pairs of them, and they actually found a receipt in Nicole's possession for that same pair of gloves that she had given O.J., Mm -hmm. And OJ admitted to those being his gloves at one point, but said that they were ugly as hell and he would never wear them. So they end up knowing at some point that those are his gloves. Whether that was prior to the the arrest or not, it was still another connection. I'm trying not to bleed all that evidence, and there's just so much shit that proves that he did it. So where are we at? He comes back. He goes he to her funeral, too. Yeah, he goes to his funeral, or Her. goes to Nicole's funeral, which I'm sure was a, just a terrible affair for everybody that was involved, knowing that her murderous, I guess not at that point, no murderous, but the guy that used to beat her, her ex-husband, yeah. that stalked her for all these years, is sitting there with his kids, with Nicole's kids, at her funeral. So at this point, he has uh, Rob Kardashian is kind of his, it's his buddy and also kind of his life, not lifelong, but it's been his long-term friend slash legal counsel, correct? Yep. Okay. So Robert Kardashian at this point is having to probably kind of pick up the pace and start establishing like a defense team. Well, and Robert Kardashian is 
uh, Kim and Chloe and the whole. I don't want to talk about them. But I. That's the aside from you know the tragedy with Nicole and Ron. The simple fact that this somehow brought the fucking Kardashians a fucking scope of national attention and they've parlayed it into the fucking earworm and just piece of shit on society. I. Go on. No, like, it's just. I'm only talking about Robert here. I know, but I I, got to mention it for something that comes up just very soon. All right. So. So he he's the the head of the Kardashian clan. Correct. Who Chris and Nicole were very good friends before this. Uh I'm sure they met through Robert and OJ hanging out together. Are you trying to are you trying to get at the Chloe is really OJ's daughter thing? Oh god, I forgot about that conspiracy. Yes. I like it though. I know. I still feel like it holds I up. I feel like it does too. Um So yeah, Kardashian brings in Robert Shapiro who if you've seen his portrayal in the people against OJ Simpson is played by Travolta with, with like his eyes pulled back oh, and like God. the skin is super tight. He's got so much Botox in his face. It's incredible. So the reason that they're able to, that he's starting to build up this legal counsel and these guys are getting called in is because I think at this point, the DA is having to go ahead and are they having to go ahead and provide evidence or things that they're discovering to OJ's like attorneys? Cause on let's see, on June seventeenth at eleven is when OJ is supposed to. They're they're allowing him to come in and surrender himself. Well, they put out an arrest warrant for him, but they're allowing him to surrender himself because his attorneys have made that deal and he's agreed to it. They waited till the day after the trial. Uh, they put the warrant out for his arrest. They officially charged him with murder, and like you say, they went ahead and arranged for him to turn himself in the next day. So two days after the murder and this. Well, no, uh, five. Five days is what it was? Yeah, the 12th is when the murder... Okay. Yeah, so he's out for... I mean, this This is moving pretty fast. Yeah, very fast. And I'm sure it's because they're looking at this as a slam-dunk case. Yeah. It's, there is so much evidence. Oh, yeah. And so, they're, the letter... So, Shapiro and Kardashian come out, and is OJ is with AC, and they're at the Kardashian's house. Yep. They're hanging out, having a little powwow beforehand. Um, they're kind of sensing that something's wrong with Juice. Mm. He's uh, obviously he's about to be arrested for his ex-wife's murder. Yeah. So I'm sure it probably wasn't a real joyous time. Um, OJ pops into, I believe it was Chloe's room. Forgive me for this. I know you will, but maybe we have some people that are Cardo fans. It was either Chloe or Kim's room. I want to say it's Chloe just. Because there might be a family link there. Um, goes into his daughter's room. Yeah, goes into his daughter's room. Ends up writing something that is eerily similar to a suicide it, note. It is, it is a suicide note. And while he's in there, has sex with his current girlfriend after or before one of the two writing the note. And... Then AC comes up to the room. Oj says that he's out. AC sneaks him out of the Kardashian house without Shapiro or Kardashian knowing. It's while they're reading the letter or something, isn't it? Because uh, th- there's reporters at his house. Yeah. They're doing like a press conference at Robert Kardashian's house. The, f- the first one. Yes. There were two. So 
they're doing it. The first press conference, like you're talking about, saying he plans on turning himself mm-hmm. into eleven. We're going to make all this happen. They're okay, gonna gotcha. Make it all happen. Oh, two within the same day. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. So, um, Juice and AC sneak out of the house without Kardashian and Shapiro knowing, and get out and get in the white Bronco. Now, in the white Bronco, after they arrested OJ, they found $8,700. They found Juice's passport. They found... (laughs) They found a glue-on beard and mustache. (laughs) Which... You're six feet tall, you're 200 pounds, you're a black dude, and you were on TV all the time. You're O.J. Simpson. What's what's a fake mustache and a fake beard going to do You'd be you? surprised if you can get through with a fake beard mustache. <sighs> I think I said they found the gun. And supposedly what O.J. tells the police after everything happens was that he wanted to go see Nicole's gravesite one more time before he turned himself in. That's where he was going. He wasn't trying to flee. He no, wasn't he was trying gonna, to escape. He, he eventually says he was going to kill himself in a cold grave, wasn't it? Uh, well, he said that he wanted to go say goodbye before he kills himself. Oh, okay. But he writes a suicide note, which I this gets into kind of the whole narcissist thing again. Mm-hmm. But if your ex-wife dies and you are about to have to turn yourself in for her murder, I feel like if you know that you're innocent at that point, you're probably just going to off yourself, right? If if you are going to commit suicide, you're going to leave the note and you're going to do it right there. You're not going to go on this wild goose chase to go to your ex-wife's grave and all that stuff, right? Like, if you're just going to do it, you're going to do it. And I feel like him and the whole Bronco chase, it was all manufactured by him just for more sympathy, more... Oh, yeah, I I don't know if... I mean, I guess it was one of those situations where, like, this can't hurt my this can't hurt my scenario. Like, I'm already looked at as so guilty. Like, I got I got a, It's like wild card. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna Very true. I'm gonna go and threaten to kill myself because I'm so distraught about Nicole and that everyone hates me and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, well, I it worked. Like, it's so shitty to say, but it it fucking worked. And you have to think if you're gonna. Like, if you're going to go with the whole try to garner sympathy with a suicide note and all that, Mm -hmm. you don't just want your lawyers to know and everybody else. You want everybody that could be a potential juror, anybody Mm -hmm. that could be on your side, anybody that was an OJ fan, you want them to know that you're so distraught about your ex-wife dying and you being accused of it that you're willing to kill yourself. Yeah. So, they're allegedly headed to Nicole's grave. OJ says that he was denied access at Nicole's grave because there was a police officer standing there keeping watch. Ends up being mad about that. They take off. At this it, point, are are Kardashian and Shapiro have they made the have they read the note and made the announcement that he's gone? So they're about to find out at this point. Okay. Um. Kardashian and Shapiro find the note. Like you were just saying, uh, they go out on TV and I don't know if Shapiro saw this. It was like, Hey, this is going to be some good stuff. We, we have this, what looks like a suicide note. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out there and read that for these people and see if we can garner a little bit more sympathy. They go out, they have their press conference. Shapiro reads the entire letter that OJ had written in front of all the media and everything like that say that he's taken off, they don't know where he is, they need to find him. 
the police are there. This is at like two, so he was supposed to turn himself in three hours before that. Mm-hmm. And and the, and there's also a press conference going on too at I don't know like police headquarters or whatever yeah. for him surrendering himself. Mm-hmm. There was not not like to, press not, waiting there not, to see it. Yeah, I mean, there's people covering him coming in, but there's also a press conference letting people know that they are expecting him. That's the reason that they're not sending out. Uh, you know, police officers to arrest him. He's agreed to surrender at 11 mm-hmm. and his lawyers have agreed. So they have to come out finally after like hours. Yeah. And they're like, he has still not turned too. himself in at this point. OJ Simpson is now a fugitive. And that's when they start calling in APBs on him, the vehicle that he's in. And that's when the police choppers start, or the news choppers start to pick up the, the, or kind of the reports. Well, at this point, the police that are there at uh, the Kardashian house have basically held Shapiro and Kardashian saying, you guys have aided and abetted uh, a known criminal. Mm-hmm. You guys have, you helped OJ escape, basically. So the uh, sheriff gets on his press conference, says OJ's a fugitive from the law, like you were saying. Anybody that is found to be assisting OJ in his... Flight. Whatnot. Yeah, his flight, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it will be arrested and prosecuted. This tips everybody off. Everybody that's watching the press conference is starting to look around to see if they can find OJ. Mm-hmm. And a an LA resident spots OJ's or spots a white Bronco on the freeway, pulls up next to it, sees OJ in the back, sees AC driving in the front. So this part confused me for a few years, but OJ's white Bronco that they found the blood spatter on mm-hmm. is still in um, custody at the LAPD. They're he still has, looking to He has multiple that. white Broncos. Al Callings also had the exact same white Bronco that OJ had. So he had wanted to be OJ so bad that he had the exact same car as OJ. So this fella sees the white Bronco, sees OJ and everything on the freeway. Okay, so he he calls it in. Mm-hmm. The police go to announce it, um, broadcast it to the other officers to go ahead and start either pull him over or pursue him. There's like a lone, I can't remember which affiliate it is, if it's CBS, ABC, NBC, which one. There's a lone news chopper kind of in the area, mm-hmm. and they find the Bronco being pursued by like one or two cop cars at this point. Cause yep. the police have, have found him at this point. And I think for like 15 minutes, they're the only ones on Were scene. They? So as soon as they found the Bronco, they called in and immediately whatever was going on on that channel, they cut that broadcast and they started broadcasting, you know, urgent news bulletin. Yeah. And so for like 15 minutes, it was just this one channel. But then all of a sudden, Everyone started sending in their news choppers, and by that point, you get the famous incident of what was like thirty. It looked like it, thirty cop cars, just in a low speed pursuit. Yeah, and it's the weirdest thing to see the uh, freeway in Los Angeles with like no cars on it. Yeah, they they blocked off all the entrances and exits, mm-hmm. and they made sure that there was nobody else in the way. People had actually gotten out of their cars at this point. Because they'd heard about it somehow and were cheering OJ on. Like well, they, they were they were standing on the overpass. They got to the point where people had made signs and were sitting on the overpasses. Go OJ, <laughs> go juice. Juice, juice is innocent. Is yeah, free juice. Um so at this point AC's driving 
and has the gun, and OJ is sitting in the back. Yeah, so... Crouched down to where no one can see him, but AC's on the phone, actually, with the cops. Well, and just to drive this point home, because this, to me, is something that changed the world. I, I know that that sounds weird, but this changed the world. So, every major news network and every major TV channel cut to the O.J. Simpson yeah. car chase all across the United States. Um, June 17th, when this is happening, they cut away from Game 5 of the NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Knicks to follow this car chase. Arnold Palmer played his last round at the U.S. Open on this day. This is all stuff that is happening concurrently mm-hmm. with this car chase happening. The Rangers had their uh, Stanley Cup, the New York Rangers, the NHL Mm -hmm. team, had their Stanley Cup parade in New York. The World Cup had just begun. So in the sports world, nonetheless, OJ being a major sports star is interrupting all these major sports moments across the country. And they estimated that 95 million people tuned in to watch this car chase. I can't recall if I was watching, if what I saw was... You know, because how how long was this thing on repeat in the news cycle? Forever. Okay. But I do want to say that, you know, this was summer. No school, anything. I don't know if I saw it live as it was happening, but I definitely saw it at least within the same day of replays and everything. I don't know if, you know, depending on what time it was, especially if, you know, this is happening at what, like three or four when they finally find him. Yeah, and this is... Like, oh, it was later than that because the press conference about the suicide note was at two. Okay. So, so it was later on. Maybe I saw it live, man. That would, like, I, I can vividly, but I, you know, I just was like, why, who, I don't, I didn't know who O.J. Simpson was at that time. Yeah. And I even paid attention to sports. It was just because someone had to explain probably, hey, that guy in the naked gun. I'd be like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Nordberg is in a police yeah. chase and it's on my TV here? Yeah. Domino's had reported that they sold as many pizzas on that night for delivery that they would sell during a typical Super Bowl night. Because everyone was wanting to stay in and watch the, get pizza and watch the chase. Exactly. That is how many people were so tuned in and locked in. Can you imagine, though, how many Domino's orders got held up from people not being able to get to where they're trying to deliver (laughs) it because all the roads being backed up? Can't take the freeway. I'll be there in an hour. I know, right? You'll be arrested by then. Just get here. So, while while this is going on, though, they are talking to AEC. Yeah. They, Dispat- or dispatcher or negotiator is talking to AEC while he's driving. They have him on the phone. AEC is going nuts, and OJ is sitting in the back of the Bronco. He's got a gun up to his face. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything that's going to make him... You guys need to back himself. off. Um, he starts saying that OJ just wants to go home. He said that he wants to go home. He wants to see his mom. Mm-hmm. He wants to give her a hug, and at some point during his convoluted bullshit, can't keep his lies straight, he says that they were trying to get over to his mom's house so he could say goodbye. He still wasn't running, he was trying to get over to his mom's house to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Just line after line, bullshit after bullshit, whatever he could say to try to spin it to make it sound like he could garner a little bit of sympathy. And then the guy that's talking to him on the phone, the fucking negotiator, OJ, he finally gets to talk to OJ. 
he's finally yeah. actually talking to OJ himself. He's like, everybody hates me. I love her so much. I loved her. I'd never heard her or anything like that. Everyone hates me. And he's like, oh, no, Juice, everyone loves you. No, and but, I mean, that's his job is to get him to... Mm-hmm. But it's just... We love Pioneer Chicken, OJ. Jesus Christ. But yeah, everyone hates me, Juice. Everyone loves you. You're scaring everybody, Juice. I would never hurt them. I would never... I'm, this isn't for them. And... They actually allow him to go back. They make a deal that allows him to drive, that allows AC to drive back to Rockingham. They have, they have to send police cars in advance to clear out the roads. There's people lining the streets all the way up to his house. He finally gets there. And as soon as they pull in and stop the car, is it OJ's son that comes out to like the door and starts arguing with AC or something like that? And then he pushes him back. There's already cops at Rockingham, like, in the house. They're not, like, outside the house. It looks like they're in the kitchen or whatever room is right off the driveway. Because uh-huh. they come out and pull OJ's son back in. AC eventually gets out. Never arrested. And then after, how long was OJ? It was hours, right? Yeah. He was in there by himself. He stayed inside there. And, again, a million theories about what this was about. Uh, the one that I feel like, because you're listening to us, sounds the best to me, was that it's going to be a lot harder for the media to get pictures of O.J. being arrested if it's dark outside. That's, that's I think, what they said it was. Mm-hmm. Or if they have to shoot him. They, yeah. if, something, if something happened and he came out, th- th- come on, that's got to go hand in hand with they don't want to see him getting arrested. Well... And this is bullshit, and I, I could maybe see that. That would make sense. But they actually took OJ out of the view of the public to put handcuffs on him. They they don't afford anybody else this kind of luxury. No, they don't. OJ got to cruise around on the freeway without them throwing stop sticks for, or for, shooting him. For 45 minutes. Is that I, what it was? It seems like it lasted so much yeah. longer. Well, if he comes back and it's dark. Um, no, I mean, but at the same time, he sat in the driveway for like three hours mm-hmm. until it got dark. But if he comes out and takes one shot, they have no choice but to shoot him. So they have to know that that is something that's a possibility. So if they're going to wait and be like, hey, if we're going to be able to arrest him, let's wait till dark. It's going to be the same principle of thought is like, if he does get out of there and just is waving the gun around and takes a shot at someone in their own areas, we have to shoot him. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing that makes me think different was he was kind of the one that was in control of it because he was the one that ultimately decided to get out of the vehicle. Like It wasn't like they chased him back inside there. They had negotiated with him for long enough that either that it could be a possibility. Um, I just think if he's the guy that's in charge uh, of when he gets uh, out. I have a hard time believing that. Okay, I think it was twofold. Because of everything that had happened with all of the, you know, Rodney King and mm-hmm. how the LAPD was under the microscope for. There were actually some LAPD officers that were interviewed during the like documentaries that have been done. And they said that there was this feeling that like all eyes were on them. Oh, absolutely. Like if they were going to, if they were going to show that they weren't pieces of shit and all these corrupt officers and everything like that, this was going to be the moment to display that. So they were super heightened to handle the situation with as much care and as delicately as possible, especially with someone as high profile as OJ. Well, that, and that's probably why they didn't stop him on the freeway. Yeah, but at the same time, there had to have been a thought in their head to say, if he comes out and he shoots at us, we don't have a choice. So if we do have to do that, 
it's probably best that that happens where a bunch of fucking news cameras can't see it in broad daylight. And that absolutely could be. It, it, it would make total sense for that to happen. I just don't know whose plan it was to get out that late. Because do you think that the people, the hostage people that are sitting there talking to him on the phone told him to wait till dark? I, mean, no, I guess they could. Maybe. I don't know, man. Maybe they give him. Maybe they give him the option, like, how long do you want to stay in there? But I think the whole time they're just trying to get him to, to come out. I think they were, they were having to handle the situation. But, man, like, we've we've gone through very little of the evidence. But it's major evidence. They They have to know he's guilty. Like, I hate to say it, but, like, if you're a cop and all of this has happened, mm-hmm. you got a fleeing felon that is a suspect of murdering his ex-wife. Fake mustache, fake beard. Yeah, they've got to be just like, this guy's guilty of killing his wife. But we still have to make sure... That how this we're handling this everything should be handled like this regardless. But what I'm saying is there was that there had to have been a heightened amount of it, just because of the amount of media on it and just past a, of, yeah the, the kid glove effect kind yeah. Of. I either way it took them too long. I I totally understand the thought process of the LAPD coming off of the Watts riots and Rodney King and mm-hmm. obviously. The LAPD wasn't doing too great under news choppers at that point. No. Because they got caught beating the holy hell out of King. Mm-hmm. And then somehow all those officers got off, which yeah, we'll talk about that more at the trial. But this is something that when you see that on the news, you like you're saying to your point, you don't want any other bad press on you. No. So between the time that he's actually arrested... It happens, I I don't know if you would consider it late. Yeah, it would be late at night on June 17th. So how long, and we're not going to go really any further than this, um, how long was he held in custody before the trial actually occurred? He was out on bond because he was out... Uh, to meet with his defense and everything, I'm sure. So I, he, he might have been in there for a little longer, because I think they did say that he had some time served. Oh, this is a very weird nugget, which I don't know how. Maybe you got into this. Um, oh, fuck. Cable guy, the two brothers that killed their parents. The Menendez brothers? Yes, the Menendez brothers. Okay. So OJ gets taken into jail and shares a jail cell with one of the Menendez brothers because they had just been arrested for killing their parents finally. Really? And we're talking back and forth. And OJ had already known the Menendez brothers because the father of the Menen- Mr. Menendez uh-huh. was the VP of the Hertz ad agency. And had signed OJ to the Hertz contract that uh, launched him on the national level. The Menendez brothers' dad was like the head of Hertz to the point to where there's pictures of the Menendez brothers throwing the football back and forth with OJ. When they were younger. Yeah. Jesus. Talk about a weird, weird coincidence. And that, that timing and location. No shit. Yeah, dude. It's just so crazy. So the trial ends up happening, and it starts October 3rd, 1995. So what is that? July, August, September. I don't know. Three months. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he also gets released on bail. This is bad reporting by me, but I feel like he got bond. 
And obviously, being a very rich man, you can pay a high bond. Yeah, but sometimes what they, they worry about that is a flight risk. Well, they had taken the passport that they had found with the... Uh, oh, that makes sense. Uh, that is not the right one. It's, <laughs> it's, it's bad when you have to Google, <laughs> was he released on bail, and it pulls up the more all the more recent <laughs> times he got arrested. Um, O.J. Simpson bail Held 94. without bail. Okay. Is that what you got? Yeah. Yeah, June 20th, O.J. Simpson was arraigned and pleaded not guilty to both murders. And so he was held without bail. He did okay. not get to... Which which makes sense. Hold on. Did you say he was... What was that? Was that 94? Mm-hmm. So he w- the trial didn't occur for almost a year. Really? Yeah, let me go ahead well, and... Well, so much of it in... I, I'll tip a little bit towards next week, but... The process of going through and having them find a jury and everything, because when you That's select right. a jury, obviously, you're going to have the prosecutor and the defense sitting in there, and they're going to be choosing <sighs> between different jurors, questioning them, asking about their biases. Ma'am, what do you think of O.J. Simpson? Oh, I love O.J. He's so handsome. And not to mention one of the... I personally think that it was the biggest issue, or not the biggest, but probably like a top five for Mm -hmm. how bad the defense or the prosecution fucked up, was they were doing the trial in downtown Los Angeles, whereas any murder that would happen in Brentwood would have happened in Santa Monica, Mm -hmm. which you're going to have a drastically different makeup of the jury, because I believe there were eight black people... Um, a couple Asian folks, a white person, and somebody that was mixed race. I have that completely wrong, but I know that it was ma- uh, majority black. Basically, you're saying a, uh, a jury that would not have been available in Brentwood. No, and it's, which, by the letter of the law, I love when people do this, and they go by exact what right should happen, so there's not any questions or appeals. They wanted to give him a jury, or a trial with a jury of his own peers. So, OJ being black... Probably mm-hmm. there were different things that Marsha Clark said, but she said anything that was going to be a long trial was going to have to happen in L.A. because they didn't want to put everybody in Santa Clara basically Here's on the same the thing, trial. Is I, I don't care what the jury is made up of. There was so much evidence stacked against him. I'm, I'm going to be done talking about it right after I say this. <laughs> there was so much evidence stacked against him that it should not have mattered what the jury or who the jury consisted of and what their beliefs were. It should have been an open and shut case. And next week, we're going to find out how this softball of a case. Yeah, beach got, ball. Yeah, how, how OJ got away with it, I guess. Yeah. All right, you think you'll be able to hold yourself? Yeah. Hold I- your excitement? For a few days. Back into it. If if my lungs hold out for the next recording, I'm I'm ready to go already. I could do this for the rest of the month. Okay, guys. Well, uh, join us next week when we uh, actually tackle the OJ trial. Later. Peace.